This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode of Keeping Carlson was brought to you in part by SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. I use SeatGeek. Elon uses SeatGeek. We've all made great purchases on SeatGeek. And Keeping Carlson listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code KEEPING today. That's promo code KEEPING for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson skulle jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, världens bästa Everybody for joining us for another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, finally back from his parental leave, is the fantasy hockey robot himself, your friend and mine, Brian Com. Finally back. It's so good to be back, Elon. Thank you so much to our guest co-hosts, Cam Robinson and Pete Jensen, who did a fantastic job. And to you, of course, Elon, who did a great job. I am. I feel like I'm back in the swing of things. Like I, I pretty much shut down for two weeks in terms of fantasy hockey, slowly getting back up to speed. I was just checking the standings today while prepping for this. Vegas seven two and one in their last ten. Anaheim eight two and zero oh in their last ten. Both have climbed into the, into the top ten in the NHL thanks to that run. And Buffalo has not even had to have a good last 10 games to be seventh in the NHL coming in to today's games. It feels like the landscape has totally changed since I've last been here. Yeah, but Brian, you did actually prepare for this show. You're not going to be giving us, aside from this, like two weeks ago advice here, right? Uh, yeah, just tell me, is Andre Palat back from injury? <laughs> we'll get to it. I think I talked about that last week. I think he has a point today, actually, for Tampa. So yeah, we're up to speed. Very exciting. Pretty impressive for Anaheim, by the way, considering they still have Raquel injured and Corey Perry and all, you know the whole team. But they've got some new superstars. Brian, you heard of this guy, Andre Kasha? Killing it. <gasps> we'll get to them all in a little bit. We've got a huge show for everyone. Thank you again to everyone for tuning in. We've got some injuries. We've got outjuries, hot streaks, cold streaks. We're going to go over the next couple hours, really break down all of the players in the league that are doing something somewhat noteworthy and maybe help you out in your fantasy leagues if we are able to. We'll do our best. Okay, before we start, of course, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, top fantasy hockey website out there. If you want to win your leagues, you got to be going every day to read the articles, daily ramblings, 
comparing players, these cage matches. Plus, you've got the tools that I use to prep the show on Frozen Tools. Player profiles give you so much data. You've got the line combinations updating in real time. We could check as we record this podcast. I might be checking in-game line combinations to be making sure I'm up to speed. So it's a really great site. Check it out, DauberHockey.com. Brian, let's get started with an injury, okay? A big one in Edmonton. Oscar Clefbaum is out six to eight weeks after having surgery on his finger. He joins Chris Russell and, of course, Andre Sekera. Remember that guy? He was supposed to be a big defenseman on the team. And so those are three big-name defensemen injured right now on the Edmonton Oilers, though they're actually still doing pretty well. Somehow, you'd think with all these D out of the picture, they'd have a problem, but they're somehow 5-1 and one in their last six games, and this run currently has them holding the top wild card spot in the west so we've got to try to break down how they've been successful and if we think it's going to be sustainable and we'll discuss it as we go through the segment but first okay back to clefbaum he finally came alive with a run of three goals four assists in six games after cam robinson said he dropped him in our show three weeks ago but then he was pointless in two games before getting injured partway through the game versus colorado last tuesday darnell nurse is the man that you all should have known to rush to grab because he's taken over the top pairing and top power play in Clefbaum's absence. And he's been amazing. He has two goals and three assists in three games since taking Clefbaum's job. He already was on a small run with three points in three games before that. So he was already looking good. Hopefully he wasn't already added in your league and you got the chance to add him. Brian, do you see any reason to expect Nurse not to hold this job? Or is this like a for sure must own grab him? He's running the top power play with Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl. Go get him right away. He seems like an absolute must own because, I mean, Edmonton has been dying for someone to replace Clef Bomb uh, on the top power play and they haven't had anyone to do that. So now that Clef Bomb's gone, it's not like suddenly there's another option. Darnell Nurse is the guy, must own, no competition for the top power play job. Like who else are they going to throw out there? Jason Garrison? There's nobody there. At some points there was Ethan Bear. Yeah, I don't know. And Evan Bouchard was also talked about, but neither one has stuck like at all. So um, for now, there's really unless Ethan Bear gets a call up, I don't think anyone is second guessing uh, who's going to be there. And that Edmonton blue line just looks so sad right now. But maybe we'll get to that uh, when we talk about their goalies. Yeah, well, the thing is their defense may look sad, but it doesn't matter because Mikko Koskinen has been so good. But actually, before we get to him, like, so Darnell Nurse is someone, you got to imagine he holds the job, especially for as long as things are going well. And you got to say the same thing about Alex Chiasson at this point, right? Like, he's been on that top line with McDavid and Dreisaitl ever since the coaching change, and they've all been doing great. Like, Connor McDavid at this point has 25 points in his last 15 games. He's up to 48 points in 32 games on this season. He's third in league scoring. He's just inching closer and closer to McKinnon and Ranson. And I'm sure by next week, McDavid may have already taken the lead. Then you have Dreisaitl, 16 points in his last 10 games, up to 42 points in 33 games on the season, 10th in league scoring. I'm sure he's going to keep climbing as well now that he's stuck playing with McDavid and stuck in, of course, a good way. Then you've got Alex Chiasson. Five points in his last five games. This guy is rolling. And how could you not playing on a line with not only Connor McDavid, but also Leon Dreisettle? He's That's like the best third wheel, I think, available in the league. Maybe Landeskog, uh, you know, could say that he's getting a good break as well. And obviously, Landeskog's actually a really good player that would do somewhat well even without the guys he's playing with. Alex Chiasson, for sure, he'd be a complete nobody, not on that top line. But while he is on that top line, I feel like I'd be confident saying he's going to get you like two points every three games at least, like a 60-point pace moving forward for as long as he's there. He's only 19% owned in Yahoo currently. I feel like just like Darnell Nurse, if if somehow Alex Chiasson is still out there, I feel like you have to just grab him and you hold him until something changes. So let's clarify for a second, Elon. You said two points every three games, 60-point pace. But two points every three games comes out to a 55-point pace. Now, like, I don't mean to be pedantic. Oh, my God. But, 
Well, this is what we've been missing, Brian. Like, <laughs> it's actually a 56.25. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it to point out that you're wrong. I'm I'm asking it to to get your more specific. Like, which is it? 55 points or 60? I think that Alex Chiasson is a threat to get a point in every single game. How about that? He won't get a point so in every single game. So 82 points? Uh, what does it matter? Have him on your team and ride it out. Well, who cares? He's not going to last there the whole season. So whole season pace doesn't matter. I'm telling you that Alex Chiasson is probably the top free agent available if he's a free agent in your league and you should grab him. That's what I think. You tell me if you disagree. Are you seeing anything in his current run since he's gotten on the top line to say he can't keep this up? So you're saying regardless, it doesn't matter 55 or 60 points. You need to own him. I get that, right? A 55 or 60 point player is worth adding in most leagues at this point in the season. Here's the thing, Elon. I don't think that even Connor McDavid can turn Alex Chieson into a 60 point player because I don't know that Alex Chieson is any better than the Ty Raddies, Patrick Maroons, Drake Kajulas of the world. But I do know that Chieson has scored on eight of his 32 five on five shots this year and on four of his 12 power play shots. That is up to a shooting percentage over 30%. And so that's why we're see- it's looking like Alex Chieson is suddenly the guy who can run with McDavid and Dreisaitl on the top line. I mean, look, Chieson is a 60-point player. Yes, the same way that we might have imagined Ty Ratty might have been. So, like, it's still possible. I'm just saying that the way he's pacing right now is thanks to some very friendly shooting percentages. And I don't know that he's any better than the options we've seen in this third wheel spot in the past one difference here with Shiesan, uh compared to the other guys, the Raddies, Kajulas, et cetera, is that, Elon, as you mentioned, this uh, Shiesan mcdavid Drysaddle line has been together since Hitchcock took over in Edmonton, and we don't yet know whether Hitchcock is going to shuffle Shiesan or Drysaddle off this line at some point because we haven't had any time to really learn his tendencies as the Edmonton coach. So you could make a bet when you're adding Shiesan or deciding – who to drop to add Jason that Hitchcock is more likely to keep these three guys together than Todd McClellan would have, in which case you definitely want to own Alex Jason. Uh, you might want to like, I mean, of course you're going to want to own Jason now regardless and worry about a line shuffle if, and when it happens. Uh, but maybe there's some hope that you're making a longer term ad than this spot might've been in the past. Uh, again, we'll need another like 10 or 20 games of Ken Hitchcock in Edmonton to really know, uh, but still bottom line for me is 60 points is a little high. Elon, I'd prefer to go someone who gets two points every three games. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Either way. Yeah. The thing is, there's a lot. I know like you tell me, like, I don't see any reason to see Alex Chia. Is it Chiasan or Chiasan? I feel like so- at some point, when Someone told me in, it was Chiasan. When he was in Ottawa, it was like over the course of two or three years, if he was even here that long, it seemed like his name was constantly shifting and he was like advising reporters on on how he wanted his name said. So but at the moment he left Ottawa, he was Alex Chiasan. But okay, I, d- I don't know what he is now. That works for me. Okay, so what I was going to say is what you said about like, I don't see any reason to see why Chiasan is better than Ty Raddy or Drake Kajula. No one thinks he's better than those guys. Maybe Ken Hitchcock thinks he's better. All that matters to me is that he's in that spot. And, you know, Ty Raddy was playing with McDavid and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, which is nice. I'll take McDavid and Dreisaitl over that. So it's even a better situation than Ty Raddy was in. Plus top power play. Just, uh, yeah, doesn't matter. Grab him. Grab Darnell Nurse. Because like I said, 
McDavid and Drysaddle are running away with these things. They're running the league. Like, I felt so bad. There was that one game that they lost in the last six. McDavid got the puck in overtime. I think I had like two amazing scoring chances. Was doing everything pretty much all by himself. Maybe passing it to Drysaddle for a second. And then the other team came back down the ice and scored a goal on Cam Talbot. Of course, Cam Talbot is terrible. And so let's get to the Edmonton goalie situation now. Because one of the reasons why they're winning all these games, of course, they're getting these points from McDavid and Drysaddle. But they're also getting great goaltending from Miko Koskinen. He's now won six of his last seven games. He's up to a 930 save percentage on the season. And meanwhile, Cam Talbot, he had a couple good games versus Minnesota and St. Louis actually recently, but he still sits at an 894 save percentage on the season. So now we have to look into the future. Like at this, at what point do we say, maybe we've already said on the podcast, I'm just reiterating, but like, it looks to me like Koskinen is going to get the majority of the games and Talbot is going to become the backup. Like that's how things are looking right now. Koskinen has been so good. I feel like until he struggles, why wouldn't Edmonton just start making him the starting goalie? Like they're just barely in a playoff spot now they don't have time i feel like to keep going with this back and forth when Koskinen has proven himself at least so far to be such an amazing goalie so like you right at the top of this edmonton bit you're like wow they're hot and my my like gut my reflexive answer was yes they're hot because of miko Koskinen's performance he is why I think, or he's the main reason why Edmonton has gone on a run of eight wins, one loss, and one overtime loss in their last 10 games. In the Oilers' last 10 games, Koskinen and Cam Talbot have combined to put up a sparkling 934 save percentage. That's helped the Oilers pick up three extra wins on this run in the games in which they scored two goals or less. Like Those are games they should not have won, but ended up in the win column because of Koskinen and Talbot. For comparison, uh, they had 934 save percentage over the last 10 games. The Oilers had a team save percentage having around 890 heading into this run, uh, which is really sad. Uh, and it's, it was very Oilers. Like, it seemed appropriate. So the question is, um, how well can these goalies continue to do? You look at the defense core, especially being depleted as it is without Sekera, without Clefbaum, even without Chris Russell. Like he's someone who eats a lot of minutes. He's not great, but he's there, right? He knows the system. He's part of the team. Uh, like there's a real dearth of defense in Edmonton, more so than usual. So we're trying to figure out now um, for the Oilers' future. Uh, and for their goalies' future, how much has Ken Hitchcock helped those goalies put up that 934 save percentage? How much of it is on Koskinen himself? And how much of this is just straight-up luck? And I think you can attribute the amazing save percentage over the last 10 games uh, for Edmonton to uh, to be a little bit because of each of those three things. Some Hitchcock, some Koskinen, some luck. But what we see for sure is that Koskinen, um, who, by the way, like I, I just need to get this off my chest, Koskinen remains one of the weirder and less explicable free agent signings. We went into this in our almanac, and I just want to give it one more ride just because it was super weird. He played on an all-star KHL team. Uh, he had no NHL track record. He'd been out of the league for almost a decade, and the Oilers gave him a one-way, no-move clause, $2.5 million contract to play backup. Like, I, I feel like, Elon, tell me if I'm wrong, but this is one of those situations that just because it's working out, I still don't want to say it was the right thing to do. Well, here's the thing. Like, the one point I'll put in favor of making this signing is that Cam Talbot struggled last year, right? So it's not as if they brought Koskinen in, I don't think, thinking that he was for sure backup. They probably told him, look, if Cam Talbot plays well, we want you as a backup, but we want someone that we can rely on potentially if Cam Talbot continues to struggle as he has, you know? So it wasn't like a, a for sure backup to me. I feel like it's, but you know, maybe I'm wrong either way. Obviously so, it's worked out. 
You, yeah, you know like I, I get your point. Like, like it was a clear need for Edmonton to shore up their goaltending position this offseason and the offseason before. Like they had Jonas Gustafson in there thinking he'd do the trick. But that Koskinen was their choice is the weird part. But I'm not I won't get too deep into it. I just like it, it's like this philosophical thing where just because it's right doesn't mean like just because it's working doesn't mean it was right. Uh, in any case, it's uh, silly. Uh, well, yeah. Well, all that matter. All that matters is people need to have Koskinen on the yeah. fantasy teams. And I think my main question to you now, unless you still had a lot more analysis to do, wh- at what point do people just drop Cam Talbot? Like, if you're in a league where he's wasting a roster spot when he does play, he did have a couple good games last week, so I will give him that. Or a couple weeks ago, but like overall, he's not playing much. And when he does play, overall, he's been terrible. I don't know. Like at some point, we're gonna have to say this guy's the backup. Like, let him go. It looks like Koskinen has to be the guy in Edmonton, in Edmonton to me at this moment. Koskinen is top five in the league and adjusted goal saved above average for 60 minutes. And you look at the, like, the future beyond this season, even if they were playing equally or, or Koskinen just a little bit better. Talbot is a year older than Koskinen. Uh, Talbot's contract is up at the end of the year. Uh, it makes it pretty easy to start moving on from Cam Talbot when Koskinen is playing so well. I, I will say, like, I'm not certain Koskinen keeps it up. And Hitchcock, let's remember, has been historically super weird about playing kinds of mind games with his goalies and never letting a guy get too comfortable. But short term, if I'm a Cam Talbot owner, I'm at least looking for a solution to buy me a couple weeks time. So that like I like I'm looking for a short term fix because I'm expecting that Koskinen is going to get the majority of the starts until he doesn't, whether that's another week or two or another month or two. uh, Well, that's what we need to keep watching for. So if you're a Talbot owner, don't expect your problems to be over within the next week or two. Start looking for an alternate, even if just a short-term solution. Yeah, makes sense. And okay, so we'll have to move on from Oilers talk. And who knows, maybe next week we'll be talking about how terrible they're doing and how all of these guys are bad. But for right now, uh, to recap, Darnell Nurse, Alex Chiasan, Miko Koskinen, the guys that, well, probably not Koskinen, but guys who might be available in your free agency you want to grab right away. Okay, another big uh, injury, or actually, no, to talk about goalies, how about we stick with goalies, go to an outjury, because we had a couple of big name goalies come back this past week. Andre Vasilevsky returned from his foot injury on Thursday for the Lightning. He didn't have the easiest return game to come back to, it was versus the Leafs, but Vasilevsky was amazing. He stopped 48 of 49 shots in the 4-1 win over Toronto, so no rust on this guy. He has another game versus the Jets today. It's actually happening while we speak, so I could even take a look, perhaps, and see how he's doing. Another tough game, man, to just come back and then have a game against the Leafs and then against the Jets. Right now, Lightning are winning 3-2 to two in the second, so potentially not going as well. But still, like at this point, Andre Vasilevsky is clearly like one of the top goalies in fantasy, so his owners are very happy. There's not much to say about him. Kudos, by the way, to Louis Demang. He won six in a row before Vasilevsky returned. His 905 save percentage has been enough to give him 14 wins in 18 games on the season. So you look at that number. I remember, Brian, you saw you made a tweet earlier today that maybe also Domingue has even been doing worse than he should be expected to, but it doesn't matter. Still good enough to win 14 of 18 games. So he's been a very decent backup for them. And now they've got Vasilevsky in there. And this team, I feel like has got to be one of the front runners to win the cup. They're so, so good. What do people who rushed to grab Domingue do at this point? Now that Vasilevsky's back, he probably won't play very much, but when he does play, it seems like a sure thing to get a win. I remember last year, a couple years ago, Grubauer was the type of backup goalie that people wanted to own, even in leagues where generally backups weren't owned, just because he was such a useful stream whenever he played, almost a guaranteed win that it was worth having him for maybe just one game every week. Do you see the same with Demang, or do you think for sure, like, let him go if you can't stream him and it's okay, he's not like, that great a goalie at the end of the day? 
The thing with Philip Grubauer is that he was worth holding in Washington, not just because he was likely to get the win, but because he could put up some really nice numbers while doing it. Domingue isn't quite that. Like he can offer a good chance at a win, but not much more. So I'd say he's more like um, like a 2017-18 Malcolm Subban in Vegas or a 17-18 Anton Hudobin in Boston. If I wanted to try and be complimentary to Domingue, like the, the contemporaries he should be aiming for are guys like Aaron Dell and UC Saros. Um, but I don't think he's quite as good as those guys. And if you're looking for this year's Grubauer, Elon, look no further than David Riddick. Yeah, of course. Well, he, well, Grubauer has taken over the job. Or, I mean, Riddick's taken over the job. I guess Grubauer did take over the job. Yeah. I was talking more about a goalie back in the day when Holpe had the job and Grubauer was still right. on. We don't need to get in the weeds about who's <laughs> this year's 2016-17 Grubauer. But okay, obviously, with all these wins recently, there are a lot of Lightning players that are hot streaks. The obvious ones, Kucherov, Point, Stamkos, Chief amongst them. Then you've got Tyler Johnson on a really nice roll, six points in his last seven games. That's before today. I don't know, I could try to check in as we're going. And a goal today. All right, so he keeps on going, as would be expected, playing on a line with Kucherov and Point. Still only 53% owned in Yahoo somehow. Can't imagine not wanting Tyler Johnson in pretty much all formats at this point. You've got Andre Palat, three points in his last three games. Looks like he's doing well again today. Another two assists today. So this guy is rolling, playing with Stamkos and Yanni Gourd. Though, Brian, maybe are you feeling good? You predicted back at the start of the year when Yanni Gourd was completely on fire. You said he won't be able to sustain his hot start. Look at this. Only three points in his last 11 games. And that's with this good deployment playing with Stamkos. He was almost a point per game guy before this cold stretch. Brian, how did you know that Gourd was going to slow down? I was mocking you so much as you were telling people to try to sell high. And now uh, you're looking like a genius. Or do you think that, are you going to switch now? Like, no, now he's doing badly. You need to try to get him because he's totally going to heat up soon. How did I know that Gord wouldn't keep it up? I mean, I've been telling you every single time for the last two years, all the reasons why Gord won't keep it up. There was not one variance related number that looked sustainable. Mind you, I was getting to the point with Gord where I was saying like, look, I know Yanni Gord just keeps rolling despite all these unsustainable numbers, but, and then I'd go into my spiel. Now, I guess I don't need to add that little precursor, which is a nice relief. Uh, he has unsustainable everything, pretty much. Yanni Gord, he's fended off regression for pretty much his entire career, which is why I'm actually not going to get too high on myself and still be very much aware that Gord could heat up again, could still beat the odds. But for now, I mean, all you can say is that we never warned you Yanni Gord wouldn't fall off. Uh, we might have just been a little too early with all of our caution. Like, I, this is one of the longest runs of saving off regression I think over the course of our podcast, others that come to mind, Alex Steen's big goal scoring season, that was one that I didn't think could sustain. TJ Oshie's big year, uh, was it two years ago now? But I think Yanni Gord's run over the last year and like a little bit beats them both. There's also William Carlson last year, and he's hot again. So we'll see what you're going to say about him a little later in the show. Uh, of course, but then you have this situation now where if you have Gord on your team, still you got to tweet at us at Keeping Carlson to ask if you should drop him because he's still playing with Stamkos, right? Like, so he does have an opportunity to get points, but obviously not at the level that he was at the start of the year. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Anthony Sorelli, who has scored in four straight games going into today, five goals and one assist in that span. In fact, this whole third line of Sorelli, Killorn, and JT Miller have been hot lately 
like I wonder, like this Tampa Bay team is so good. Are we approaching? Remember Minnesota doing anal- Speaking of analogies, right? Remember Minnesota a couple years ago? They were like the only team in the league where they had a whole top nine, where you pretty much wanted everyone in the top nine. Is Tampa approaching one of those teams where you want to get in on Sorelli, Killorn, or JT Miller just because Tampa scores so many goals, and you just want anyone that's going to be getting decent ice time on this team? And I don't think so. Like I'm not sure that Tampa really has a, a super solid top nine situation just because that Sorelli, uh, JT Miller, uh, I already forget. Who, oh, Kalorin. That line doesn't really strike me as a as a third line that can really uh, generate offense on a consistent basis. Like Kalorin and Sorelli both seem like decent complementary players. Miller. Uh, is a, a good offensive threat, but I don't know that he's quite enough of one to really drive that line by himself. I actually see the Sorelli, uh, Killorn, Miller line closer to like, or like the Tampa top nine, closer to like the San Jose top nine, where they have enough for two solid lines and then like a third of another. Uh, kind of like the version, like, so this JT Miller line is kind of like how the Sharks had Evander Kane playing with Antti Suomela and Eunice Donskoy. Like, that. that's the comparable for me. And that wasn't a super, uh, actually, they got on a roll early in the season, but it was not a super successful long-term line. Um, as for Sorelli himself, what to do with him, uh, he looked like he was going for the Cy Young this year before finally picking up his first assist in 16 games on Thursday against Toronto, leading into that. Sorelli had six goals on 27 shots over 15 games, added another two shots in that Toronto game. So like, look, all this to say, I I don't know that I'm seeing anything from Sorelli that really excites me. He's a good guy to have on Tampa for depth scoring, but I don't know that he's going to really offer your fantasy team a whole lot. I don't expect him to break out of that mold. Yeah, Sorelli was, uh, when I was prepping this episode, Sorelli was the most added player on Yahoo today. So a lot of people were adding him, expecting him to keep it up. Now we're like more than halfway through this Tampa Bay game. It's 3-3, no points for Sorelli. So maybe a lot of disappointed people who added him, or maybe he'll do something before the end of the show. Once again, I am proven correct in my analysis. Yeah, sure. Well, there's still a period to go. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. tweet. Do you know the tweet? No, I do not know. Tell me, teach me about memes. It's a J- Jeremy Roenick years ago when when he was like one of the bigger buffoons in hockey broadcasting. Like now he's like a quieter buffoon in hockey broadcasting. I think. Is he even still doing anything? I don't know. But I, don't uh, know. I remember he was a really good player back when I was playing NHL 94. He was on the Chicago Blackhawks. But okay. Oh, let's yeah, go. He was so good. And Tony Amante <laughs> and, done, uh, and Alexei Zhamnov. We've done this line? before. I think we've had this exact same conversation <laughs> before. So let's move on to another big goalie outdry. Matt Murray finally off the IR, played his first game for the Penguins since November 17th and won his first game since October 25th yesterday as the Penguins beat the Los Angeles Kings 4-3. to You'd think that was a nice, cushy place for Murray to come in against the LA Kings as opposed to Vasilevsky coming in against the Leafs. But hey, Murray led in three goals. But in the end, it was fine. It was on 31, uh, 41 shots, actually. So it's a pretty decent save percentage overall. By the way, how did Pittsburgh let in 41 shots versus LA? This like team that's had so much trouble scoring. It's almost as if Pittsburgh was missing a key piece of their decor, which they were. And we'll get to that in a sec. But first, let's talk about the goaltending. So like, what the heck happens in the Pittsburgh net now? This is no Vasilevsky Demang situation here. Like Casey DeSmith has been really solid for the Penguins. He's won seven of his last 10 starts with only three bad starts in that stretch, which seems like a good percentage to me. Overall, DeSmith has a 923 save percentage on the season. Compare that to Matt Murray, who has an 883 save percentage on the season. He was terrible before he got injured. So are we looking at a timeshare here? Has Casey DeSmith earned the starting job and Matt Murray's just a backup? Pittsburgh plays four times next week. So I feel like 
Brian, you'll probably just say something or other, but really the answer is let's wait and see because they're going to play Anaheim on Monday, Washington Wednesday, Minnesota Thursday, Carolina Saturday. I'm expecting we'll maybe see each goalie play twice and then maybe we'll have to reassess it next episode. Well, Matt Murray, of course, when we last saw him and where he remains is at the bottom of the NHL starting goalie heap this year. Any way you slice it, you look at his rote save percentage, his adjusted goal saved above average, every measure, he stinks. So I think Matt Murray probably uh, just wants to pick up where, well, doesn't want to pick up where he left off, but our narrative of Matt Murray just picks right up where he left off. He's in a precarious place where he's in danger of losing his starting job. And every time he takes the net, it feels like it's higher and higher stakes uh, that exist for him to prove that he's capable of turning his game around and he's got to prove it sooner rather than later. Usually when you have a starter coming back into the lineup, like uh, when Vasilevsky came back in for Demang, it's like, okay, drop Demang. And the same thing when, when we thought Ronta was coming back, okay, drop Kemper or Hill or whoever you had. But this is a situation in Pittsburgh where we're not going to say, go ahead, drop to Smith. I am not letting Casey DeSmith go just because Matt Murray is back. I think expecting a timeshare makes sense while Murray continues to try to find his footing, both in the sense of coming back from injury and also just coming back from sucking so much. It's very possible still that Casey DeSmith, even with a healthy Matt Murray, uh, plays more games the rest of the way than Matt Murray. Yeah, I was actually very impressed with DeSmith. I thought maybe Tristan Jari would get a bunch of starts while, you know, it was DeSmith and Jari as the two goalies. You know, DeSmith, I, did Jari even play once? Like, I don't even recall seeing him get into the lineup. Meanwhile, I think he played once or twice. Yeah, but DeSmith was great. And now we have to wait and see what happens. Another place where we have to wait and see what happens is on the D because Chris Letang is injured. He's day-to-day with a lower body injury. Initially, it looked like it could have been worse. And we were seeing tweets about this looks bad. This might be a long-term injury. He's day-to-day for now. So who knows? We have seen in the past Chris Letang go day-to-day, quote-unquote, but actually be out for like a month or more. And it's really annoying if you're in a league without IR plus spots and you're just stuck with this guy burning a hole in your lineup. So hopefully either he'll come back soon or he'll at least go on IR so you could do something with him. But anyway, Latang's been really great this year. He has 25 points in 30 games. That's a 68 point pace. So it's a really tough break for everyone who's probably feeling really smug about having drafted this guy because you were able to get him at a bit of a discount this year because he was a bit lower last season after being so great for all the years before. Anyways, now we look who's the defenseman jumping on the top power play. We had a bunch of people trying to predict who was going to be on our patron-only Facebook group when Latang went down. And surprisingly, no one uh, suggested that I saw Oli Mata. And he's the guy who I assumed is the obvious one. And he did. He jumped on the top power play yesterday, along with Crosby, Malkin, Kessel, and Gensel, because Hornquist is still out. Otherwise, that would be Hornquist's spot and not Gensel. And yeah, Mata, power play assist, along with three shots and five blocks in the last game. So I feel like this kind of looks like a Darnell Nurse situation. People should probably be rushing to add Mata at least to stream for these four games next week if they have room for him. Or do you think there's a chance that he could get bumped from this spot? Brian, like I know you were suggesting some guy that I never even heard of. I think Ricola. Ricola. Dumoulin was another name being thrown around. Like, do you think there's someone else who can take this job or is it just Mata's job until the tank comes back? Olimata was the guy seeing the second highest share of Pittsburgh's power play time from the blue line when Latang was healthy. Latang was, of course, seeing the highest share. So it makes sense that Mata is the guy who steps up. The only other guy worth watching in the Pittsburgh power play quarterback situation is, uh, yeah, this guy, Yuso Ricola, R-I-I-K-O-L-A is how you spell his last name. God, I hope I spelled that right. Uh, he'd been a healthy scratch for a, a bit of a spell, but drew back into the lineup thanks to Latang's injury. And Ricola stepping back into the lineup also stepped right into Mata's uh, 
recently opened a second power play unit role because Mata, of course, ascended to the top unit. If I'm adding a Pittsburgh defenseman, yeah, I would probably go add Oli Mata right now, but would be checking the line combos after each Pittsburgh game and maybe even the line, the practice line combos uh, ahead of each Pittsburgh game to make sure that Mata hasn't been swapped out with Ricola on that top unit. Uh, Mata, of course, is sort of the incumbent here, but I don't see it as a Com- t- terribly unlikely that Ricola gets a turn or two if right. Latang is out for long enough. Right, exactly. Yeah, so it's not exactly as secure as Darnell Nurse's spot seems to be. But for now, definitely go out, grab Mata, get his four games. By the way, Darnell Nurse, Edmonton only plays two games next week, so you might be tempted to say, eh, maybe I'll grab Mata because he gets four games as opposed to Nurse's two games. But don't forget, Clef Bomb's out a while, and uh, see, I would still grab Nurse and suck it up for just next week. I know Dave is here in the chat room from Stream Scheme. He's always looking at the schedule for the next week, and he'd be like, I don't know. Why would you want Nurse? Only two games. But yeah, long term, I feel. And who knows with Clef Bomb, right? He could end up being out longer. Like, anyways, yeah, grab Nurse then Mata, I would say, as the two top defensemen right now that are on my radar that might be available in your free agency. Brian, there are a lot of things on my radar. There's like great defensemen. There's also great like things to do outside of the house. Like I like to sit at home and watch hockey, but every once in a while I like to think, what am I supposed to do? And in fact, right, I'm going to Ottawa actually in a few weeks. We're going, I'm going to New York and we're having a patron meetup there. Then I'm going to have to go to Ottawa because the person who's taking my dog while I'm going to be in New York, I'm going to have to go pick my dog up in Ottawa. So I just took a look at the website of our sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. <laughs> Wait. See- Wait, 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 I'm sorry to interrupt, but like you're leaving your dog with someone in Toronto and then you're taking your dog to Ottawa. Okay, let me explain this. My friend is coming to Toronto to celebrate Christmas together. And then she is going to drive back together to Ottawa. With you? Yeah, she's coming to Toronto and she and my wife and I are going to celebrate Christmas together. And then she's going to take our dog and she's going to bring him her to Ottawa. Are you still following me, everybody? Yeah. And then I'm going to go to New York with my wife. I'm going to meet up with the patrons on December 27th and message me if you don't know about this, if you're a patron or if you're a listener and you want to come hang out in, I think we're meeting up in Brooklyn now, but uh, message me. We'll, I'll tell you about that. Then I'm going to Ottawa. Brian, we're going to record an episode in Ottawa on the Sunday, but maybe on the Saturday, I'm going to want to go out and check something out. So I'm going to SeatGeek.com to see what is out there. The Wild are playing the Senators that night. $21 for a ticket on SeatGeek? Holy cow! Like, if you were in Toronto, you'd have to pay, like, triple as much to go to a hockey game. Four times as much. But I guess Ottawa, it's not too hard to uh, get tickets to those games. And what a great deal there. I could go see beautiful The Carol King musical. That's what I like about Seeky. You could just sort of scroll, go pick a day, pick a city, and you can see what's going on. You know you're going to get great prices because they're aggregating the tickets from all over the place. And you know what? You're going to get an even better price if you've never used it before and you're a listener of Keeping Carlson because we have a special deal just for them. Yes, our listeners are going to get $10 off their very first SeatGeek purchase. Wow. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code KEEPING. That's promo code KEEPING for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. You can do it right now, this minute. It's going to work. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Yes. SeatGeek has the tickets. Here's a free idea for anybody. Are you ready? Ready. SeatGeek, but for dog sitting. Okay, so you buy tickets. That makes no sense. What does that mean? What are you buying tickets for? I just thought, like, you know how everyone's like, Uber for this, Uber for that. Why don't we just say SeatGeek for that? Well, yeah. How about SeatGeek and you buy a ticket to go watch dogs play with each other? Maybe something. Maybe there's something there. People do love oh, that's good. hanging out with dogs. Okay. I just but- feel like you shouldn't have to go to another city to pick. I mean, it's very- you have a lovely friend. Very nice. Doing you a well, big favor. Well, I think that my dog. Really well. 
Cody is an adorable dog, and I think she's lucky that we're giving her the opportunity to hang out with her for so many days, right? <laughs> Michael in the chat suggests Tinder, but for dog sitters. Okay, that makes a lot more sense to me. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> but Brian... seat geeks for dog shows. Yeah, get... exactly. Yeah. You could go. Pro- like... Go ahead, Brian. We're, we're still getting figuring this out, talking at the same time all over the place. Okay. Okay. I'm going to search on SeatGeek right now for dog I guess, oh, but I'm in Ottawa here. I'm going to have to change to say in any... Okay, I'll do this later. So, someone tweet, go do the search, find a dog show on SeatGeek and send us a link. And uh, if it's a reasonable price, I'm going to buy you a ticket to go to that dog show. Uh, <laughs> if you, We'll figure something out, okay? But now let's go back to the NHL and let's go back to some outjuries because Paul Stasny has returned for Vegas. Finally, he took his rightful line to spot with Pacioretty and Alex Tuck. No points in his return versus Jersey on Friday, but a goal and an assist today versus the Rangers. He's not on the top power play, but still pretty nice spot on the second line. A spot that, oh my gosh, Brian, I'm totally blanking here, but there was that guy who was doing really well on that line up until the time that Stasny returned. Who is it? Actually, I know, Brian, it's a trivia question for you. Who's been centering that line? It's been Cody Eakin, okay? I gave the answer for everybody. Yeah, Cody Eakin's done a great job centering that second line. He's bummed. Stasny steps in. Got to imagine Stasny could even do better than Cody Eakin, considering he's Paul Stasny, and he's been an offensively good player for a long time now. And, Brian, he's also, like, your favorite player, apparently. After we did that almanac over the summer, you were all over the place tooting Paul Stasny's horn in, like, every single chapter that we were in. So I I feel like you were always comparing people to Paul Stasny. (laughs) But, uh... Yeah, what are we expecting from this guy moving forward? If he's a free agent in people's leagues, is it time to rush and grab him since he's playing with Pacioretty and Tuck? I'm actually, like, I'm not, the way you built him up, I'm not sure that I can really, like, my projection doesn't feel like it matches that. I'm actually not expecting a ton from Stasny. Like, not a ton, but still a good showing. What's really great for Stasny is that, well, guess guess who's rolling right now, Elon? Is it Max Pacioretty? It's Max Pacioretty. Eight goals, eight assists, 16 points in his last 14 games. I think that's going into tonight's game. Five power play points in those 14 games. 32 shots. Uh, Actually, those shots aren't great. Um, Shot counts are still a little lower for Pacioretty than I'd like to see from him. Pacioretty is someone who should be closer to three shots per game rather than just barely clearing two shots per game on average, as he has been during this 14-game stretch. But he's been scoring goals and assists and power play points. He's alive. And I think there's now some earned confidence, both from like himself from within and from his teammates and from his coach to keep this momentum going. So that bodes well for Paul Stasny getting to play with Max Pacioretty. And of course, Paul Stasny gets to play with Alex Tuck, too. Tuck had been a little cool lately. Just three goals, no assists in his last seven games. So he did add another pair of points in today's uh, Sunday. Uh, today's Sunday. So today's matinee over at Madison Square Garden. And even if Tuck hadn't put up those numbers today to get out of that little cold snap, remember that Tuck's this cold stretch of seven games followed a five-game point streak that capped off a remarkable start to the year in which Tuck was over a point per game. So, yes, I like Stasny a lot as a player. I like how how capable he is of both offense and defense. I like both his line mates in Pacioretty and Tuck, so I feel pretty good about Stasny being back in the lineup, being fantasy relevant. All that said, I don't know where you would think I have Stasny after that spiel. I've got him at a 55-point pace from here on out. I'm, I'm hopeful that he can put that up. Okay, so you're saying it's similar to what you think for uh, Alex Chiasan for as long as Chiasan stays <laughs> oh in the God. top line of power play. Dasny or Alex Chiasan. Yeah, who would you want right now? If it was a streaming spot, let's say you've got Patrice Bergeron in your IR and he's apparently going to be practicing next week, so maybe a week or two and Bergeron's coming back. In the meantime, you want to fill that spot. 
pretending that they, let's say, play the same number of games, would it be Stasny or Chiasan that you add? If they play the same number of games and I'm looking at one week, I think I'm going Alex Chiasan. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, uh, doesn't Daniel Negreanu potentially, like if, if uh, Pacioretty ends the season better than Alex Tuck, doesn't he send somebody to a Vegas Gold, Golden Knights game? Wasn't yeah, that the deal? He's, yeah, he's going to offer two two tickets for listeners. If Pacioretty is more fancy, it's fuzzy. Like if if the season ended today, I think it would be a push. So I, I don't think- know. Because now Pacioretty is on the top power play. I was loving Alex Tuck. A lot of it was him being on that top power play. If you recall, William Carlson got bumped from the top power play, and he was on the second one. But they've changed back to kind of what we were expecting going into the season. So it's the top line and Pacioretty, along with Colin Miller, on the top power play. Tuck on PP2, which uh, isn't that good. That's probably part of of the reason that he only has, I guess, now five points in his last eight games, which is good, but obviously not the same run that he was on before. It's a lot harder to do it all from even strength. And speaking of William Carlson, eight goals and one assist in his last 10 games going into today. He didn't have any points today, but five shots. Riley Smith also on a great run, 11 points in his last 11 games after his power play goal today. Also, Colin Miller's finally taking advantage of that top power play. I remember we recommended for people to grab him a while ago. He was like good for a bit and super cold, but he now has three power play assists in his last four games and a five assist overall in his last four games. So yeah, lots of interesting players over in Vegas. I guess if I wanted to ask you about one, I feel like it's got to be William Carlson. Are we in for yet another season of you telling us that Carlson and Riley Smith won't keep it up, but they keep doing it anyway? Or do you see something different happening this year? Like is, Ry- is William Carlson earning all of these points or is he once again sustaining with some like high shooting percentage or something that you think is going to end? So I'm going to reframe what you just said, because I didn't have to tell you that William Carlson wouldn't keep up his goal production over the first 24 games of this season, because, well, his numbers told you that on their own. Carlson began with just five goals in 24 games, and that wasn't awful luck or anything. He had a very reasonable 11% shooting percentage in that stretch. And now William Carlson, now you might be wondering, oh, maybe that was like, I guess if you're if you're really... Uh, holding a candle for William Carlson. You're thinking those 24 games were nonsense compared to last year's 82. Um, But now Carlson has eight goals on his last 23 shots for a 35% shooting percentage. Um, So do I really need to tell you, Elon, which of those goals paces he's more likely to keep up the one in which he was scoring 11% uh, on 11% of his shots or the one in which he was scoring on 35% of his shots? Yeah, but of course it could be somewhere in the middle, right? And it could still mean that William Carlson is someone that if you were able to buy low on him after that slow start, uh, yeah, you're probably happy now. And at the end of the day, top line, top power play with all these players that we're lauding, like this is not a guy to completely forget about. But also, yeah, it's always funny when he goes and gets like almost a goal per game for a stretch. And then Brian kind of tears his hair out because it's like, how does he, though, we're going to get to Alex Ovechkin soon. And you're going to probably tell everyone how he has too high of a shooting percentage. And then uh, everyone's going to hate you. So you could say it with William Carlson, but be careful when you say it about Alex Ovechkin later on. Okay, I will be careful. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Okay. Uh, On the other end, we've got Shea Theodore. He's been off that top power play for a while. Only one assist in his last five games. He was on a decent run before that while he was also off that top power play. But it seems kind of like this might be the newer normal. Also less than 20 minutes of ice time today. Are we approaching snoozer territory for Shea Theodore if there are other... I don't know even what to, like, you know, like second power play defenseman who's once in a while, go, like if Sammy Vatnin is out there, you know, like, uh, is, are we at the point now where Shea Theodore is, doesn't need to be owned in most leagues? 
Yeah, Shea Theodore is off the top power play. Uh, when that happens, he's not terribly relevant. He also has just two shots in his last four games. So Shea Theodore is a snoozer in leagues with decent defensive options available in free agency. In leagues where that's not the case, like where it's a wasteland uh, in the free agency D choices, uh, maybe Theodore is worth hanging on to just as a guy who could still eventually get the chance to do stuff again. Uh, but in the short term, as long as he's off the top power play unit and not taking shots, let's not expect a whole lot also elon i skipped right over where we skipped right over riley smith you were like am i gonna tell everybody that william carlson and riley smith can't keep it up um and just to like i uh, riley smith is not someone i was quite as hard on last season as i was william carlson uh, and i'm going to go a little softer on riley smith now too um you mentioned that he has 11 points in his last 11 games after scoring a power play game uh, a power play goal today um, and my first thought looking at that run that Riley Smith is on was like, of course, Riley Smith is doing well uh, while William Carlson is cashing in on one of every three shots he takes. That's a great way for Riley Smith to pile up the assists. But Smith has actually only picked up two assists from William Carlson goals during this stretch that he's been really strong for. And Riley Smith has 13 assists in his last 14 games, seven of those coming on a Vegas power play. That's clicking a little better lately than it had been at the start of the year. Um, so yeah, I mean, Smith is now on a 56-point pace with with this burst in production, um, but sustainable numbers are underneath it, which is pretty much exactly what we predicted in our almanac, a pace of about 57.5, I think, was our average number. Uh, and that still seems like about what his expectations should be, though I could see him putting up a 60-65 point pace the rest of the way if Vegas can continue what they've been able to manage on this fiery 10-game stretch they've been on. Yeah, it's a very exciting team right now. I'm sure Daniel Negreanu is not sweating too much about this Pacioretty tuck deal. I'm sure he's just enjoying what's going on over in Vegas. Brian, if you had to choose right now, Riley Smith or William Carlson, is this an easy choice for you for who you want on your fantasy team? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll go Riley Smith. Like, I, honestly, I don't see the difference being so huge between them. I see the difference in perception being huge between them, like the perception that William Carlson is a 40-goal scorer. So Riley Smith seems like the the cheaper commodity to acquire. Uh, if I had to pick one, I'd probably lean Ryan Riley Smith, but it's it's pretty close. Yeah, well, the way you're saying it, maybe you take William Carlson, trade him for someone better, and then get Riley Smith for cheap. Maybe you could <laughs> yeah. pull that both off. Okay, uh, we're talking about Outries here. Of course, this is the Outries episode because we got Brian back from his time away from the podcast. <laughs> and also injured. The- you weren't injured, but you were sort of like N.A. status, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but uh, Washington has a couple players back now. T.J. Oshie and Tom Wilson are both back in the fold. So here were the lines yesterday. Actually, not what I was expecting when they'd get fully healthy. I was expecting them to go back to Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Tom Wilson. That's what they were doing last year in the playoffs. But uh, Ovechkin, Backstrom, Oshie, and then Kuznetsov, Verana, and Tom Wilson. So, Okay whatever it's working they're scoring goals uh also the top power play that's what i would have expected backstrom kuznetsov oshi ovechkin and john carlson of course uh so tom wilson scored in his return on friday nothing yesterday but he was plus one so he was on the ice for a goal he didn't get in on it at least uh three shots on goal eight hits for tom wilson so at least when he's not giving you points he's giving you all those hits if your league counts that you're happy about that overall 15 points in 13 games now for tom wilson but a lot of that was while he was getting top power play time with tj oshi injured what are you expecting moving forward now that we're past all of the discussions about you know is is he like a nice guy or not and now that he's not on the top power play we are sort of settling in to what we should expect tom will he's getting the deployment that we should expect him to stick in for the rest of the way unless you're going to tell me that you think he's going to be bumped out of the top six soon what are you expecting from this guy moving forward should people be holding on or should they be concerned because he's bumped from the top power play 
They should be concerned that Tom Wilson has been bumped from the top power play. They should also be concerned because Tom Wilson has scored five times on 21 shots at even strength uh, and has an on-ice shooting percentage at even strength that's 14%, which is uh, too high. Uh, Tom Wilson also has two goals on seven power play shots and has assisted on the other two power play goals that he's been on the ice for. So that's a 100% power play IPP I say all this because you can expect it all to regress. And honestly, off power play one, you're probably hoping for half a point per game over the course of the year from Tom Wilson. And even that's, I think, a little generous compared to my uh, previous projections for him. I know that Tom Wilson had like has 11 even strength points in 13 games. So maybe you shouldn't sweat him just losing the power play time. And he's been really good at even strength. But I don't believe in the numbers uh, beneath those 11 even strength points in 13 games. Hence my still refusing to acknowledge that Tom Wilson can be more than a, you know, like I'll say maybe he could be a 50 point player if everything keeps breaking right. But I would expect him more to be in the 40, 45 point range. Okay, yeah. So especially if your league doesn't count hits, then he might become a fringe own at this point. It's obviously great if he's in the top six in Washington, but not even playing with uh, Ovechkin lately, which is fine. Though Kuznetsov is fantastic, so it's not as if, you know, he, he still has really good line mates. But I agree with you. Maybe like around 50 points would be the upside there when he's not on the top power play. TJ Oshie is on the top power play, though he has no points in his two games since returning. Seven shots overall, so maybe he could have had one goal there. He has 15 points in 21 games on the season, so that's a 59-point pace. Does that seem about where you would expect him to land at the end of the year, around a 59-point pace? I think that is pretty close to the right neighborhood for TJ Oshie. I've generally got him as a 55-point guy, and he's had some friendly variants, but not so much that I think he's going to fall below 55 points. I think 55-60 is the right uh, neighborhood. Okay, yeah, and then, okay, so the other guys that are there, like Kuznetsov continues to get points every single game, regardless of if he's centering Ovechkin or not, so he's just fine. Nicholas Backstrom is on an on insane pace as well, so they've got 98-point paces and 103-point pace, respectively, so that's 98-point pace for Kuznetsov and 103-point pace for Backstrom, so both of them having amazing seasons. Obviously, a really nice spot for Jacob Verana playing with Kuznetsov and Tom Wilson, I guess, just because he's playing with Kuznetsov. He's done pretty well lately, scored yesterday, four goals and one assist in his last six games. Could be a good deep ad or stream while he's playing in the top six with Kuznetsov and then of course we come to the man of the hour the man of the year the man of the decade my boy I love this guy Alex Ovechkin actually Eric Carlson's my boy but Alex Ovechkin is like my boy's best friend uh he's scored at least once in all but two of his last 14 games pretty much you could set your watch if Washington's playing you're very likely going to see an Alex Ovechkin goal or two or three. This includes two straight hat tricks last week against Detroit and Carolina. Just a measly one goal on eight shots yesterday. 29 goals, 14 assists, and 43 points in 32 games on the season. So just to repeat that, that's 29 goals in 32 games going along with 14 assists. So he's currently on pace for 74 goals. What? He obviously won't hit that, but seems like the Rocket Richard trophy is his to lose at this point. Patrick Liney's second, six goals back with 23. Ovechkin's already at 29, so that's a pretty nice lead to have at this point in the season. Like, how many goals do you see him landing at this season? I know that he probably has a super high, I don't have to say probably, I know he has a very high shooting percentage to get these 29 goals, but at the same point, fine, he won't have a 70, whatever, 74 goals at the end of the season, but got to imagine 50 is like well within reach with this huge runway he's given himself, maybe even 60, like where do you think he's going to land? 
So you and I have had some really great conversations about this whole thing. And I mean, that sounded cheeky and sarcastic, but it wasn't. Like, this is a real thing that is so much fun to even be able to talk about. Can Alex Ovechkin catch Wayne Gretzky's goals record? If anyone can do it, like there are two candidates right now. You've got Ovechkin, the tail end of his career, and Patrick Liney at the head end of his career. Okay, but let me stop you right there. Patrick Laine, like the thing with Ovechkin is he's been able to play all these games and not get injured. Like Patrick Laine has to, you know, play like 10, yeah. 15 seasons without missing major time with injury, which is very unlikely. Most players don't have that happen. So I'd even forget about him. Let's focus on Ovechkin. <laughs> okay. Okay, sure. So Ovechkin, as you mentioned, Elon, has a high uh, shooting percentage, but on the power play, it's actually fine. It's an even strength where he's seeing a huge spike. He's shooting nearly 23%, having scored 17 times on 75 shots on goal. Uh, For reference, uh, last year he shot 13%, which was actually the highest even strength percentage, uh, shooting percentage of his career up until this point where he looks poised to set a new career high shooting percentage at five on five. Uh, Before that, he was generally in the 10% range for a shooting percentage. So 23% at even strength is very high. The thing is though, that you regress him down to uh, like say his shooting percentage at even strength from the last few years. And Ovechkin is still a 50 goal guy, which is more than I wanted to give him at the start of the season. Full disclosure on the Almanac, I said 40 goals for Ovechkin was my expectation with a shot at 45 goals. So him being on pace for 50, even with regression to his five on five shooting percentage, that's fantastic. But for him to catch Wayne Gretzky, Ovechkin is going to have to keep this five on five shooting percentage spike up through the rest of his career, essentially. And we call it a spike because, well, it's unsustainable. It's a spike, right? A spike goes up and then it comes down. So Ovechkin is going to have to sustain the unsustainable uh, to have a shot. But (laughs) why? Why would Ovechkin be able to do that? Like, Elon, we had actually like this was a piece of our conversation where you said um, maybe Ovechkin's going to get better with age. Like he's going to become a more efficient shooter. He's going to figure out a way. And I I don't think we've ever really seen a player Mm. make a significant gain in their shooting percentage in the twilight of their careers and like figure out how to play smarter and make more of each shot that they do take. But we've also never seen a goal scorer like Ovechkin before. So if anyone can do it, my mind is open to the idea. I think it's still unlikely, but my mind is open. I think that that part of that conversation you're kind of misrepresenting and make me making me sound a little dumb. Like just like oh. maybe he'll just have a better. Like I think my actual argument was maybe he'll get less time at even strength and more time on the power play. So that would be a good reason to expect his shooting percentage to go up just because shooting percentages are generally higher how on the can, power play. How can he get more time on the or, power play? Or no, not maybe just like less time at even strength, period, and same time on the power play. That would lead to him having a higher shooting percentage, right? Why? Because he'll take fewer shots overall. Yeah, but, but, but the shots he will take will be on the power play, so but, his shooting percentage would go up. Yes, but that's like artificial. Like he'll still have the same number of goals on the power play, and like he's going to be losing even strength time with which well, you're to just score. taking a snippet from a conversation where I just was okay, like suggesting that would be a reason to expect his shooting percentage to right, go up. But I would say if that if that is the case, then he's like it. it even less likely to break the record. Okay, I know. Okay, I don't okay but you're you're clarifying. Yes, you no, you would never say something that isn't. And I mean this. I, everything I say sounds like deadpan, like rude and sarcastic. But I, Elon, you're a smart guy. 
Okay, thank you. Okay, yeah. here's the thing. Okay, everyone's talking about this Gretzky record now, and why not? Like, he's on such a great role. He's 33 years old, and he's playing, like, it looks like the best he's ever played. So you wonder, like, how long can he keep going? So let's just give our quick... Brian's already given his take. I'll just give the summary here. Gretzky's NHL goal record, 894. Ovi is now at 636 at 33 years old. So that's 258 goals to go. So, Brian, I'll just throw it out there. And then you could say, well, it doesn't matter, right? We'll wait and see. It'll be fun. In seven years, we'll have a good time if he's still playing in the league. But if he were to average 40 goals per year over the next seven years until he's 40, he would do it. But keep in mind, every year that he scores 50 goals, that means that at the tail end, he only needs to have a year of 30 goals. If he scores 55, <laughs> that's a 25 right there. So keep that in mind as we go forward through the seasons and we'll see how he does. I did tweet that if someone injures Alex Ovechkin, he will immediately become my least favorite player in the history of the NHL. So wow. you don't you don't want my ire. Who's currently people. your least favorite player in the history of the NHL? What about that guy, Matt something that injured Eric Carlson? You know, he Oh, Matt Cook. Sweet. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, that's a pretty good choice. Okay, so uh, we've got an in-jout jury situation on the Rangers. I feel like this in-and-out burger thing didn't work. So I'm switching to in-jout jury. Uh, the Rangers have Zuccarello and Buchnevich back, but Kevin Shattenkirk is on the IR, but whatever. I, I, I didn't even look up what Shattenkirk's injury is. It's like, who cares? I've given up on him. Maybe Brian, you'll say, oh, you should stash Kevin Shattenkirk because he's going to come back one day and then you'll be so brilliant to have him on your team. But <laughs> you're laughing at me right now. Okay, but yeah, Zuccarello and Buchnevich come back. So let's take a look at the Rangers lines. We've got Zibanejad, Zuccarello, and Heedle on, I guess, the top line, or maybe not, because the second line of Hayes, Buchnevich, and Kreider, those three guys have been really great as well. And then the power play, at least today, was Hayes, Kreider, Zibanejad, Zuccarello, and, of course, Neil Pionk. So, Brian, I, if you recall, before you went on your parental leave, I was saying on oh, every show I want to get one opportunity to ask you to rank a bunch of players on a team. I'm going to deploy that now on the Rangers. I want to rank the top six forwards on the New York Rangers, okay? Like, I feel like I'll give you the options. I'll just quickly run through who these options are. So I think the number one spot seems pretty easy to me. Zibanejad. What a stud. 28 points in 32 games after his power play goal today. That's like a 70-something point pace. He's got, I love, and I think I said when we did that show over the summer of who are players that might get into the 70-point club, and I think I said Zibanejad, and I think you said not bloody likely, but we'll have to wait and see what happens. But it's looking like he could challenge for that right now. Then you've got Zuccarello. He had an assist in his return, another assist today. Only 12 points in 19 games overall, but he's getting great deployment playing with Zibanejad at both even strength and on the power play. Chris Kreider was red hot at a point, but he actually now has only one goal in six games, at least going into today. I don't think he did anything today. Maybe he did. I guess I could actually look this up and tell you the real truth. Of these three guys I've said so far right now, who's number one after uh, Zibanejad? Uh, do you agree with me, first of all, that Zibanejad's going to be number one? We could do this in piecemeal. Now, Zibanejad is number one. He's keeping it up. We like He had that great stretch to start the year, and we said he would keep it up, and he is. Yay, Mika Zibanejad. So yeah, he's number one. Do you want to hear the rest of my list now? Or? Okay, well, I got the data in front of me now. So Kreider did score a goal today. So give him two goals in his last seven games. Kevin Hayes, conti- well, what was that sound? <laughs> that was a fart noise. Well, why? Well, two goals in seven games. I mean, yes, it's better than one goal in seven games, but it doesn't change my mind. Okay, well, we don't even know what your mind is. He's still in good deployment, right? Anyways, okay, Kevin, put him at the bottom. I don't care. I'm asking for a ranking. Uh, Kevin Hayes, maybe I have Chris Kreider last. You don't know. Okay, Kevin Hayes <laughs> continues to be on fire. Three apples today. Pete Jensen and I told you all last week to add Kevin Hayes. So if you didn't add him at this point, that's kind of on you. Don't blame us. And actually, I should be saying this to myself because my opponent in the couple, Matthew, picked up Kevin Hayes to start the week. I bid on him, but I got outbid and it might cost me. It looks like I'm up by 10 points right now. 
And I've got Koskinen tonight, and he's got Gold Dobin. So this is really going to come down to it. Oh, no, I'm, now I'm up by 12 points. Woo! But yeah, if it wasn't for Kevin Hayes, I'd have this thing in the bag. Uh, Pavel Buchnevich returned, and he scored in his return versus Arizona, and he had another assist today. He was also on a run of three goals and three assists in his last six games before he got injured. So he's looking really good. And then you've got guys like Hedl and VC who have been running hot and cold all season. So of all these guys I've mentioned, Brian, how are you going to rank them in terms of how many points you think they're going to get moving forward in fantasy? Okay, uh, so let me just go. I'm going to go a quick piece about each player. So Zabin Jebdi covered Zuccarello, one of the more quietly reliable producers out there who often gets forgotten uh, when he shouldn't be. Chris Kreider pulling the same stunt he does every year, which is start strong and then go missing, even while maintaining his good deployment. Yeah, okay, two goals in, in seven games. Still, like, look, I, I shouldn't have fart noised him, but he was still, like, this is what Chris Kreider has done. So we just have to brace ourselves for it. Kevin Hayes is on a 67-point pace uh, going into today's game and actually looking really good beneath the surface, to be honest. The one flag I see for Kevin Hayes is a 78% IPP at 5-on-5, but really that's not more than like 10% above what I'd expect given his career history, and that doesn't add, add a whole lot of a bump onto that point pace. Uh, So aside from that high IPP at even strength, uh, we're seeing pretty good consistency in Kevin Hayes rate stats compared to last year. Uh, He's just got more minutes to apply his trade now though. He's up above 19 minutes a year for the first time ever. That's a raise of two minutes per game. And Hayes' power play role has also doubled as part of that extra ice time. I think Kevin Hayes can keep up at least a 60 point pace the rest of the way if not even more. He's someone He's someone I'm really excited about, actually. If he can keep getting this deployment, I would love to see him out of nowhere pull off a 65-point season. Uh, and then you have Pavel Buchnevich, uh, who you know we were worried about Buchnevich for much of the start of the year, uh, but he was starting to come into his own right when he got hurt. And I'm hoping that him picking up points in each of his two games since returning to the lineup gives the coach reason to keep liking him. Um, okay, so now we're at the ranking point uh it's really close between these guys you got Zabanejad as the clear number one and then I think I'm gonna go Zuccarello just for reliability I think Hayes' ceiling this year might actually be higher though and Hayes is my third guy then Kreider then Buchnevich and Buchnevich is on the bottom only because we've seen there be trust issues with both coaches Buchnevich has had in New York uh, so that's why I've got to keep him behind Kreider because uh, he just could end up in the doghouse regardless of his production. And then of course, uh, Hedl and Jimmy VC are behind Buchnevich on my list. Okay. Interesting. One thing to keep in mind, not that I think that I should argue with anything on your list. The Rangers are supposed to be sellers this year. And I think the plan is for like Zuccarello and Kevin Hayes to both be on the move. So you could see someone like Pavel Buchnevich. If you added him now, he could end up climbing up to the top power play just because, you know, people leave and then those spots open up. So he could be someone that could get in better deployment as the season goes on though that could also mean he loses his great setter kevin hayes who's doing so well so i guess there's both sides of that coin by the way brian any concerns about neil pionk he's been on that top power play like he's stuck there all throughout this whole season so that we've gotten right i think that or i'm pretty sure that at least i predicted that he was going to stay there and he has but he only has three assists in his last nine games still on the top power play still getting big minutes not producing right now should his owners be concerned considering swapping out or is this just a cold streak and he's going to pick it up because he's playing with other guys who are producing and he just happens to not be getting points right now i think that's all it is pionk has just three points on 13 on ice goals four over his last 10 games which means he has a low ipp over his last 10 and perhaps uh, that is a bit of a correction from an ipp that was too high to start the season but on the whole uh, pionk's 
a quietness lately doesn't really worry me. It seems more like a, a small blip. Uh, so long as Pionk's minutes uh, and power play role aren't changed, I don't see reason to get concerned that he's going to fall off a 40, 45 point pace. Though do keep an eye on Pionk's power play role. He's seen a pretty low share of power play time on ice in two of his team's last four games. I haven't really dug into that though. I, I, like sometimes this happens by accident just because like uh, a unit doesn't take a line change uh, for a long time because they, they're just applying a lot of pressure. So just something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think I checked, and I think that Pionk is still the top power play guy in general, like playing with Zibanejad, and I think that whenever Zibanejad is out, that's the top power play. But yeah, something to keep an eye on for sure. I wouldn't be dropping him just yet, unless I've been seeing people, you know, asking, should I drop Pionk, either in our Facebook group or on Twitter, and then I ask them to show me their free agents. By the way, if anyone's going to ask us, like, should I drop this guy? Give me the other options. I need to know a lot of context here to get the sense of what's happening. Even if you say, should I drop this guy for this guy? If they're different positions, then generally I like to see the context of some other available free agents just get the sense of everyone's value over replacement. Anyways, all that to say, I saw that Alex Edler was like available. I would take Edler over Neil Pionk. So if anyone is deciding whether they should drop Neil Pionk, I say yes, if you could get Edler. Of course, you're taking on some injury risk, but Edler on that top power play with Vancouver, with Pedersen, or I guess now it's Peterson, according to, I think it was Peter Cam that told me that. But yeah, and company, Besser Horvat, that, he's looking pretty good. But Neil Pionk still in a good spot, I think. Uh, other outjuries, Darcy Kemper back for Arizona. Uh, since you've been gone, Brian, Auntie Ranta was announced. Since out- you've been gone. Yeah. Auntie Ranta's out for the season. <laughs> <laughs> Since you've been gone. The Coyotes are so moving on. <laughs> the team's elite level starters projected to potentially miss the remainder of the season after suffering a knee injury at the end of his rehab for a different groin-related lower body ailment. We, we need to... I, I don't know that part of the song. We should actually attribute <laughs> that quote, though, that you just read. That was from an article at The Athletic by Catherine Silverman. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we got Darcy Kemper and Aiden Hill as the uh, two goalies for Arizona, probably not what they were hoping for going into this year. Kemper got the games on Tuesday and Thursday after returning from his injury. Two losses, four goals against and three goals against respectively versus Boston and Buffalo. Aiden Hill got the Friday start and a 4-3 win over the Rangers. And then another three goals against today versus Carolina. It was a 3-0 shutout. Three goals against on 27 shots. Not great, not terrible. Do you see a clear favorite here? Got to imagine no. Or will they just go back and forth all season? Would you be jumping on either of these guys if they're in free agency right now if you need a goalie? So uh, what I read in that article that you uh, quoted in song was that Calvin Pickard, like, well, what we've noticed before, I I didn't have to read the article to notice that Calvin Pickard is hanging around the lineup as a healthy scratch, right? At first, we're like, well, they can't keep three goalies, but so far, they are. Darcy Camper, Aiden Hill, and uh, Cal Pickard has been the the guy in the press box night after night. Uh, What I did learn from this article is that apparently uh, Pickard is, like, working on a couple adjustments to his game to recover from some other adjustment that Philadelphia asked him to make uh, that threw his game right off, and that's why he blew up his save percentage so badly Uh, so I'm willing to go with that explanation because I mean I've never been the biggest Calvin Pickard booster but I did think he was better than what he showed in Philadelphia as I think most Philadelphia goalies are better than what they've shown but that's uh, I think we'll get to that pretty soon um Darcy Kemper 
also like isn't really starter material. So am I rushing to get any of these guys? No, but I think what Arizona is gearing up to do is to set up a timeshare between Darcy Kemper and Calvin Pickard and then send Aiden Hill down once they think that Pickard has adjusted enough and is set up for success in the Coyotes crease. I am a little more interested in Pickard than Kemper, um, assuming that Pickard can find his game again. I think his ceiling is higher, but I think if you're looking for a surefire starter from either of these guys, uh, that's not what you're going to get. You're either getting a guy who's going to start, say, every other game, or you go for both and get the handcuff. I think Aiden Hill is probably going to be the odd one out, but that's still like a total guess. Yeah, okay, yeah, because I feel like I would want Aiden Hill right now, actually. But I guess you're right. If you're saying that we're going to grab a goalie that's going to potentially be getting games for the rest of the season, perhaps, uh, yeah, Kemper or Pickard. I'd say Kemper over Pickard. I feel like Calvin Pickard sucks. Like, what a why? Like, oh, they, they gave me bad advice, and now, like, my game is off. Like, come on. You've sucked for a while, Calvin Pickard. I don't want to hear that crap. Alex is saying in the chat room here that Crawford's injury looked bad. Yeah. What? I didn't know about gonna- this. I was actually going to bring it up. We're going to talk about the Philadelphia goalies, and then I was going to mention it as an aside, but Alex has has scooped me. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, Corey Crawford, I think he he was – I don't know if he was hit or something, but I, I think he hit his head on the goalpost or he oh, hit God. his head on something, which for Corey Crawford is probably – it's scarier when it happens to him than any other NHL. Or remember, he missed 10 months with post-concussion syndrome uh, before finally coming back a couple weeks into this season. Uh, so I don't know what's going to happen with him. Like, it's, it, it's a really scary situation. I don't even, like, it feels, um, I don't know, a little shallow to get into, like, the fantasy implications of this. But, of course, that there is the question, uh, what happens? Well, I guess Cam Ward starts games in Chicago for now. And, like, you didn't want Crawford, really, as a Chicago starter. You certainly don't want Cam Ward as a Chicago starter. You might as well, like, give them Jack Hughes right now if, if, if that's how this is going to go I, I but I really truly hope that Corey Crawford is okay what an awful thing to keep happening to him yeah that's very sad and it's like Chicago's a bad team and uh yeah I guess if your league just counts wins and saves like Brian our joint league does maybe you want Cam Ward though who knows how many games uh Chicago's even going to be able to win with him in the nets uh yeah Ugh, I didn't see anything too bad. I really hope Crawford will be okay. Man, what a bummer uh, way for his career to go after, you know, everything was going so well for so many years. But okay, uh, hopefully he'll be fine. Let's go to some more goalies. Some more goalie injuries, actually. Hopefully less serious ones over in Philly. Uh, Anthony Stolarz, Stoli the goalie, the newest goalie to be injured in Philly. He joins Brian Elliott, who was supposed to be back soon, but keeps getting delayed in the list of injured goalies. Mikhail Neuverth, I guess, is actually healthy now. But he's been away because he had a baby. So congratulations, McCall Neuverth. But like, this is a guy who's already been terrible, already gets injured all the time. And now he just had a baby. And we know what that happened. We know what happens then to these players when they have their babies. So like, I don't know. I, I, I have zero faith in McCall Neuverth. He actually returned from his injury uh, back on Monday and made it 28 minutes versus Winnipeg before getting pulled. Or maybe that was Sunday. But yeah, so uh, mm-hmm. I guess right now we're looking at Alex Lyon as the goalie for Philly. And then maybe Neuverth is there also until he gets injured. But at that point, like if Neuverth gets injured again, which I, at this point, I feel like it's just a matter of time. Like no one wants it to happen. Everyone says, no, leave him in the minors because he needs to learn. And this team is a disaster. So you don't want to bring him up and ruin him. But if everyone's injured, Alex Lyon, Philly needs to call up Carter Hart, right? Like, it seems like this is actually going to happen now. And so, Brian, if and when this does happen, because we're not going to be in your ear in that exact moment when they make the call up, if and when that happens, 
Do people jump on Carter Hart as this goalie that's going to save their fantasy teams and save the Philadelphia Flyers? Or is this like a disaster in the making for him and you might as well let someone else go and take the pull on him? Yeah, I don't know why you would throw Carter Hart into the tire fire that Philadelphia Flyers are currently are that they are they're not in a tire fire they are the tire fire it seems as though uh putting carter hart in their nhl crease his like uh, as of training camp when they sent him down it seemed like the decision was that that was going to be like the last resort decision um i don't know what's happening in philadelphia though with all these goalie injuries like do they need a new training staff is michael neuverth contagious or something like usually it's awful news when you hear Neuverth and pulled in the same sentence, but he's not injured yet. That was just being pulled from a game. So honestly, whether I think like whether it's Alex Lyon or Anthony Stollers or Michael Neuverth or Carter Hart in the Philadelphia net, I don't think it matters because Philadelphia is a mess at the moment and they could stand to make some big changes to help benefit any goalie that's tending twine for them. So at this point I am, uh, sort of just waiting for a coaching change. The same way, by the way, I, when we recorded, I think the last podcast that I was on, we were talking about Edmonton and I was like, well, let's hold off like getting too far ahead because I'm pretty sure by the time most people hear this episode, uh, Edmonton will have a new coach and that happened. So I'm going to pull that again tonight for Philadelphia. It's Sunday night. Uh, I expect by the time we're talking about the Flyers next week, they'll have a coaching change. So it is a weird situation. Like they just have a new general manager uh, so maybe that general manager is a little reluctant to make that kind of move so early in his tenor. But things look so broken for the Flyers. I don't know what the other option might be. Well, there actually was news that came out earlier today that Hackstall was fired and Quenville was hired as the coach. And I saw that on Roto World. And then like five minutes later, there was a correction saying, no, that source was incorrect. And Philly is saying that they haven't changed the coach. So I feel like Philly is not going to come out to the media and say, no, we haven't fired Hackstall to just then go fire him like a day later. So that kind of makes me think that he's going to stick around at least a little bit longer. Maybe he's got a couple more games. But yeah, like you say, this whole team is bad. So how about we go out of injuries and outjuries and into cold streaks? Because I want to start asking you about some players, Brian. I think we're at the point in the season where we need to start looking at some of the guys who you've been saying all throughout. you got to wait on them. They're good players. Some of these players you've loved for years. And finally, like, I want to get your take. Maybe, But hey, feel free to say, hold on, they're going to bounce back. But I got a bunch of people that people are asking me about. I'm really glad to have you back on the show so we can give some definitive answers. And there's a bunch of these guys on Philly because they've got a lot of cold street guys. So here were the lines. First of all, let's just set this up. So here were the Philly lines yesterday in the embarrassing loss to Vancouver. They were going with Giroux, Nolan Patrick, and, and Michael Roffle. Then Couturier with Simmons and Voracek. JVR with Konechny and Jordan Wheel. So basically a complete mishmash. Like these are not lines that we've been seeing all year long or anything we expected to see, like Konechny with JVR and Wheel. What's that? What happened to Couturier, Couturier not with Giroux? Everything is... Topsy turvy. So, anyways, we got Giroux, Voracek, Couturier. They're they're all doing well. So we could spare them. They're good. You're happy if you have these guys. Somehow they're getting points, even when nobody else is. Wayne Simmons, one goal and zero assists in his last nine games. So he's been terrible. JVR, James Van Riemsdyk, two goals and one assist in his last eleven games. I was actually offered uh, JVR for Chiasan today, and to be honest, I passed on the deal. But t- to be fair, this is like like I said, like I have players in IR that are going to come out soon. Also like there's guys like Jeff Carter and Alex Galchenyuk who we'll get to, you know, like already in free agency. So why do I if I could just grab a slumping Jeff Carter out of free agency, why should I trade my Chiasan 
for a slumping JVR. I don't see a difference. You'll tell me if I was dumb and you think JVR is about to break out. Uh, you've got Travis. He's not even on the top power play, by the way, right now. Simmons is yeah. been in that last top power play spot. We uh, had Travis- this conversation briefly on the on the patrons-only Facebook group already. Like, I, I think in the context of your league, it made sense for you to decline that trade, but it does seem kind of crazy if there's any chance that, like, this this roster spot is the same. Like, whether you're choosing that Shiesan or Van Riemsdyk, like, a month or two from now, I'd probably rather Van Riemsdyk. Maybe. Yeah. So, and we'll get you to do your full analysis on James Van Riemsdyk in a second. Like, keep in mind, yeah, I have Raquel and Bergeron in my IR. So I f- hopefully will have those guys on my roster and no room for Chiasan. Though, it, like the way Chiasan is playing for Chiasan, I don't see myself dropping him. But anyways, I'll worry about that problem when, <laughs> I, feel, when I feel like even when you're correcting Chiasan, like you're still, like it's, everybody struggled with it here. <laughs> like I, I remember the play-by-play guys, like it seemed like a, a constant note that they were talking about how, how Alex Chiasan wants his name said and he probably did change it since ottawa okay chason well anyway who we're done with him okay so simmons jvr connect all been terrible was a lot easier okay simmons jvr brian come on (laughs) he played with glenn wesley i think in carolina yes simmons jvr connecting have all been terrible even maybe more terrible considering how much people paid to get him or high how high they drafted him uh, Shane Gossespierre, pointless in four games, only two assists in his last 11 games, 13 points in 31 games on the season. So you look at any time frame, and this guy sucks. So we got to figure out what people should do with him. He was on a 68-point pace last year. You were optimistic that he'd be able to keep him, that up. Like I remember when we were recording our almanac over the summer, you were saying how like you think Giroux is going to regress. You were like giving all these reasons why the top guys on Philly aren't going to be able to repeat what they did last year. But yet you still said you thought Gossespierre would be able to keep up what he was doing and i remember having an argument with you being like how is that possible how is he gonna get as many points and like the exact opposite happened Giroux's amazing gospel sucks and he's still on the top power play so i feel like the, i don't know i just really like we saw i had a question both on twitter and on facebook from two different people it was a very strange coincidence asking if they should drop gospel for josh morrissey like i said like what a weird trade but you know what like <laughs> if you would have done that three weeks ago You'd be laughing because Morrissey's helping you and Ghost Bear's doing nothing. So, okay, these four guys, Simmons, JVR, Konechny, Ghost Bear, are any of these guys droppable at this point? Or are you going to say to hang on to all of them? I think you have to hang on. They're all quality players. Konechny and like JVR, I feel like, is the, the least droppable of the group. And then Konechny and then Simmons. Like That's the order in which I'd rank them in terms of my, my faith in them being able to rebound to a fantasy-relevant position. Uh, long enough for the rest of the year. Although Simmons is the guy on the top power play and Konechny's nowhere in the depth chart right now. But Michael Roffle, uh, I don't it, like you can't even parse these lines. And again, when the lines shuffle this much, this is something that often happens with like in the death throes of a coach. Uh, so we'll see if it like how, how anything shakes out. Um, in the meantime, we have to make sense of what is left. And let's zoom in on Ghost Despair here. At five on five, uh, Shane Ghost Despair's shot rates are down, which usually I say, like, that's on the player. That, that that means that they're not succeeding as much as they should have been compared to last last year. Like, And that's on them. It's not like random variants. But I feel like there have been these tactical shifts made in Philadelphia that have led to Ghost Bears' shot rates going down rather than him just suddenly struggling to do what he's done the last few years. Uh, he also has no goals on 40 shots uh, at even strengths. So that's not great. His IPP is down about 10%. Uh, and on team level, 
everybody sucks when Goss's bear is on the ice. His even strength on ice shooting percentage is just above 6%, which is bringing back memories of the problems that Giroux and Voracek were having in Philadelphia during past years where there's been a broken system and they were still very good players, just not in a system in which they could succeed. On the power play uh, for Ghostus Bear, the situation is actually pretty steady from last year. He's attempting as many shots as usual, though more of them are getting blocked than last year. So that's, I don't know, that seems like it could just be uh, a temporary thing. Uh, his on-night shooting percentage is also bad on the power play, down below 10%, which is pretty bad for a power play. You don't like to see that. Uh, like, I'm just summarizing all this to say it feels like there are circumstances beyond Ghostus Bear's control that are making his season go sideways. And I remain as faithful in his ability as I was back in the Almanac. It's just frustrating to wait. Like I I feel it. Like I own him in at least one of my leagues. I need to check my rosters more closely, I guess. And uh, it's been painful, but I think you need to keep the faith. Like I would still consider him a buy low as I would James Van Reensdyke. And to some extent, uh, Konechny as well. Although don't expect him to be a line one, power play one kind of guy. But the run he went on uh, within the last, was it a week or, or two or two ago, that he had a, a pretty solid string of points that he put together. Uh, he can do that. Yeah, you're talking about Konechny now. Yeah, that's Konechny. So like, I'm, I'm saying you could buy low on guys like Gostas Bear, Konechny, and James Van Riemsdyk. Wayne Simmons is the one guy I'd be nervous about buying low on. Wow, because JVR is the one that's not on the top power play. I don't know, because we haven't seen... The thing is, like, when a player goes to a new team, sometimes, like, maybe JVR was just doing so well because he was really clicking with, I don't know, Kadri and Marner. Wasn't that a line at some point on the Leafs? Like, maybe he's just... I don't know. I'm very concerned about James Van Riems. Like, I don't know if I'd be buying low on him. I understand why you're saying to buy low on Gosses Behar. So if you have Josh Morrissey and you want to make that trade offer, I can see that potentially getting accepted from what the questions that we've been getting. Another assist, by the way, for Morrissey today the 5-4 win over Tampa for the Jets. So, uh, yeah, but it's really tough. But I think I'm going to agree with you. Like, as long as Ghost Bears is the quarterback on that top power play, like Provorov's another guy I could have brought up, right, that's doing nothing lately. So as long as Ghost Bears the top power play quarterback, you got to think at some point he's going to do something, but he's a really tough hold right now. I'm really happy I don't have him in any of my leagues because I would be tilting big time and would not know what to do. I was tilting earlier about Eric Carlson. He's bounced back. He's amazing. My life is good. I hope that I don't wish what I went through on anybody. And I know it's happening to the Gostas Behar owners and I feel bad for them. Okay. Another guy, Brian, that you've loved forever. And for good reason is Jeff Carter, but he's doing a whole lot of nothing. He's pointless in four has only 15 points in 34 games on the season. Like his lowest point pace. I think he's ever had. He was dropped in a couple of my leagues a few weeks ago. And in both of those leagues, I jumped on him. I was really excited. Wow. I'm going to get Jeff Carter, this guy who's like five, whatever on a little bit of a slump, but now I'm going to have him for free in these two leagues. I've given up on him in both of those leagues since then. Like, he's doing nothing. I couldn't justify holding him. I wonder how long it'll be before Jeff Carter gets dropped in my cupful division. He's still owned, but the owner of him must be just, you know, really struggling to decide if he should keep him, especially for a center. Usually, like, there's more centers available in free agency than other positions, so it must be really hard to be holding Jeff Carter. And, you know, it's not like Kopitar and Brown are doing that much better, but at least they're giving their owners something. So I really feel like Jeff Carter, like even when Kopitar and Dustin Brown are getting points, Carter's not, maybe you could blame it on the fact that he's playing with Brendan Leipzig and Nate Thompson at even strength. By the way, side note, Brendan Leipzig is on LA now. I guess Vancouver traded them to him. We didn't bring it up on the show. So there you go. There's that piece of news. Um, Or maybe is it just the fact that Jeff Carter has finally hit the expected regression that you'd expect from a 33-year-old? Like he's no Alex Ovechkin, clearly. Uh, Yeah. What do Jeff Carter owners do as a time to let go? So 
this is not expected regression because he's 33 years old. That's not why Jeff Carter is struggling this year. I'm actually not sure why Jeff Carter is struggling. And before I do, small correction, Elon Leipzig was claimed off waivers by the Kings from the Canucks, not traded. I anyway. See. Yeah, I know it's not it's it's irrelevant. Uh, it's been a very sad season for Jeff Carter. He has declining shot rates, which is uh, really unfortunate considering how dependable Carter has been in that category in the past. And to add insult to injury, Carter's only converting on six and a half percent of his decreased shots. Uh, like like his decreased shot counts, which is like half his career shooting percentage uh, on declining shot rate. So that really just compounds all his shooting issues. His five on five IPP is at a dreadful 35%. That's like what we'd expect from a so-so defenseman, not a high end forward like Jeff Carter. His on ice shooting percentage is below 7%. Everything on the power play actually looks okay, but at five on five, yeah, uh, it's been really bad news for Jeff Carter, both in his own numbers and in his variance numbers. So I'm not sure like there, there could be some measure of turnarounds here. Like maybe he could be a little bit like Kopitar and Brown where they're not quite themselves, but they're at least giving you something. Uh, but Carter's a long way off from being the 60 point uh, big shot taking guy that we've come to like. Uh, and his line mates at even strength could be the culprits. Like that is one theory for why he's struggling. Uh, Nate Thompson is a fringe NHLer and Brandon Leipzig might not be much above that. Uh, it was Matt Luff. Uh, for a few games before Leipzig uh, joined the team. So uh, like all these fringe guys that Carter's playing with are downgrades from Tyler Toffoli and Tanner Pearson, who Carter had pretty much been attached to for the last few years. Yeah, I mean, you'd be happier with Matt Luff than Jeff Carter over these past few weeks. I don't know, Brian, if you've noticed that Matt Luff has shown up on the score sheet every once in a while. Yeah, so it's tough. So you're saying in a lot of leagues, you could probably let go of Jeff Carter. Feel free, as always, tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Uh, let us know uh, who you're thinking of dropping him for. Give me the context of who's available in free agency. Even better, join our patron-only Facebook group. Post a screenshot of your team, and everyone's going to be happy to help you out. It's a really fun community where we're all trying to help each other make the best decisions. I have a feeling if you were to ask in the Facebook group, if you could drop Jeff Carter, a lot of people would be saying, yeah, let him go. And then they'd put a funny gif of like, what is it, Frozen? They have the Let It Go song. And like, we'd have a lot of laughs. And then people would use that those fun emojis on Facebook where you give the funny different types of likes and the laughing like and the heart eyes like. And it would be a great time. Okay. I would post a gif from the movie Coach Carter as a comment in this thread. What a hipster saying gif. But anyway, okay. Gif? Uh, is that, what do you mean? Yeah. Is there a hip way? Is there a is there a pretentious way to pronounce GIF? Yeah, there is because it's like oh, because the inventor said that it's GIF, so it's GIF. But even though every like sane human reads the word, so like you know, so fun. I decided to call it a GIF after listening to a segment on your former podcast, The Reality Check. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I thought I thought it was the nerdy way to do it. Actually, I, yeah. I didn't know there was a way. I think that just most basic people just read it how it looks, right? And say GIF. But I, I'm not surprised that you would say how it, you say it. I don't care. We got to move on. It's G- more pleasant to say. I, sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the hottest LA King right now is not Dustin Brown. It's not Andre Kopitar. It's not Drew Doughty, who missed a game with injury, but it's fine. Uh, it's Alex Iafalo, or maybe it's Jake Muzzin, actually. He's looking, He's been good in, in a couple of games recently. But yeah, Alex follows on a four-game point streak, one goal and four assists in that span. Seems to be getting top power play time right now with Carter, Kopitar, Brown, and Dowdy. So he's bumped Tyler Toffoli from even there in the depth chart. So by the way, Tyler Toffoli, forget about him, obviously. LA plays Tuesday, Saturday, Sunday, next week. So 
Uh, that's not great for the early in the week, but maybe if you have room on Saturday and Sunday and you're in a super deep league, Alex Ayafalo might not be the worth, worst guy to stream in if you want to get that exposure, as Pete Jensen would say, to uh, Kopitar on that top line and top power play. I don't really have a question to ask you about that. I'm sure you're going to say, like, oh, maybe, who knows, because he's Alex Ayafalo. That's what you say about him, right? Exactly. Okay. Uh, next guy that I got to imagine you're going to say we're done with, Jordan Eberly. right? We're done. Like, you've been into him for a while, but at this point we're looking at 13 points in 31 games. He's been on the top power play on the Islanders, but not doing anything like one or two shots every game, which I know nobody likes. Like He's a snoozer in basically all leagues, I'd imagine. Yeah, Jordan Eberly is snoozing. His five-on-five shot rates are like in the dumpster, as Eugene Melnick would say. And he has a career low five on five average time on ice too. So he's like not even get, he's like getting awful deployment. Uh, he is getting extra power play time. Like we hoped that would like, we hoped it's like J- Jordan Everly keeps doing what he did last year. Plus top power play time, 60 points for sure. He's seeing 70 seconds more per game on average than last year with the man advantage, but Everly's power play IPP is at a career low down in the mid thirties when it should be generally in the mid sixties. And this has led Everly to have just four power play points in 30. 31 games for someone who's often been on the top power play this year. That is brutal. This year is not going anywhere near the way we'd hoped for Everly. I feel like, obviously I feel like he could still bounce back, but he's not an interesting guy to be waiting around on. Not even a guy I want to buy low on in most leagues because he should just be dropped to free agency. Safe to move on from him in leagues where there are decent 50, 55 point alternatives out there. Yeah. Even less, I would say. Like maybe if there's like only 30 point guys, then you hold on to Everly. But if you've got like a 45 ish guy, I might even jump on him. Like Alex, I follow to me, interests me more than Jordan Everly right now. Like I feel like at that point, unless you have limited ads, you're Jordan Everly spot. That's a stream spot. Okay. Just bring in whoever's got good games that week. Maybe he'll be fine at some point, but it's been too long. And yeah, like I feel like I feel pretty confident if you drop Jordan Everly in your league, unless Brian's in there, you're probably unlikely to have him snapped up. And you could always be the first to try to get him back if you see some signs of life. Uh, another guy who's getting nice deployment but not really doing much with it lately is Brady Kachuk over on the Sens. He's been playing with Mark Stone at even strength and on the power play, but his assist yesterday broke an eight game pointless streak. Are we holding on to Brady Kachuk or do we have any concerns? Like on one point, I love his deployment and he was basically a point per game guy before this cold stretch. On the other hand, they're the Sens. Like I didn't expect them to keep scoring all of these goals. And they're, and, but even like with them not slowing down, Brady Kachuk really has slowed down. I've, I've recommended to people on Facebook to hold on, but I want to know if you agree with me, Brian. I think you should hold. I mean, if Jordan Eberle is the best free agent available, hold on to Brady Kachuk instead. Uh, the assist that he did get came in a game where Kachuk played fewer than 13 minutes, though. That was the first time he'd seen his ice time dip so low uh, since back on November 21st, a stretch of about 12 games. But Kachuk still has good deployment on the whole, like maybe that was a one-off thing. Check his ice time in the next Senators game to make sure he is seeing more than 13 minutes again. Uh, The silver lining is that if he is, and he's still playing with Mark Stone, well, Mark Stone is a guy who can help pretty much anyone he plays with. So as long as Kachuk is seeing like reasonable minutes with Mark Stone, I guess he's worth waiting for, but he's also streamable depending on the depth of your league. Yeah, I just think that what we saw at the start of the year from Brady Kachuk makes me want to hold on. Like the big difference between him and Eberly, they're both cold right now, but Eberly's been cold forever. And Brady Kachuk showed us like such a high upside and ability to get points. And so, yeah, I, I say you hold 
for as long as he's sticking with Mark Stone, even if he goes for another like five pointless games, I wouldn't be dropping him if he's still getting that great deployment. Uh, Brian, what are you going to do with Ryan Ellis? You have him in your cupful tier one Sweden division, but he only has two goals and zero assists in his last nine games, 14 points in 33 games on the season. That's only a 35 point pace. And if you recall, Ryan Ellis had a 60 point pace last season in some limited action. I think he only played like 50, 60 games, but yeah, Ryan Ellis has been a huge disappointment this season. Like, P.K. Subban's injured. You'd think, if anything, his role would be increased. But no, like, he's not doing anything with it. So, Brian, I'm curious to know, like, you have Ellis in the couple. Have you thought about letting him go? Or to you, is he, like, a for sure, you hold him forever, and you don't ever consider dropping him? He's someone I'm holding. Well, like, the reason I'm personally holding Ryan Ellis on my couple team is because he's in this frustrating place where he's one of the worst-owned defensemen, but he's still, like... In enough of a jump a- ahead of the best free agent defenseman that I can't just let him go. And the reason for that is that Ryan Ellis, even though he's had trouble scoring, he's still regularly picking up a couple blocks and shots and some hits here and there, uh, making him somewhat relevant for my team. But in a points heavier league, it'd be harder to make the case to have held him all this time. One thing I will give Ryan Ellis, we always mention his name as one of the defensemen who bucks the trend for shooting percentage amongst blue liners. He always has one of the highest shooting percentages amongst defensemen in the NHL. And his shooting percentage this year is looking uh, very pedestrian. It's enough to make the difference between him pacing for 35 points and him pacing for more than 40 points. He has just one goal on 43 even strength shots, which uh, Ryan Ellis should do better on. He usually shoots about 10 per percent nine ten percent so he could have three or four goals if he was closer to his usual shooting percentages although that includes power play shots too so maybe like two three goals you you see what i'm saying so even if ryan ellis's shooting percentage was the same as usual though um, he still wouldn't be back on pace for 55 or 60 points as he was last season and that's because his shot rates have dropped he's not shooting quite as often, uh, which was really helpful for someone who can consistently put up an above average shooting percentage for a defenseman. Um, I'm still holding out hope that Ryan Ellis can do well. He's seen a little higher share of his team's power play time, maybe because P.K. Subban was out, but he's been playing a career high 25 minutes a night on average. Uh, Definitely has some variance markers that can improve. I'm not giving up completely on Ryan Ellis, but certainly acknowledge he's been a tough own. He could still provide legit rosterable value, though, once he progresses back to the mean in those variance numbers. I think he still is capable of being a 45, 50 point player. It's been really annoying to wait, though. Wow. Yeah, that's a really high bar. Like he'd have to improve quite a bit, but you're saying he could do it if those numbers go back to what you would expect. So that'll be something to watch. Uh, on Nashville, by the way, Kyle Turris returned on Thursday after missing a few weeks. He had an assist in his return versus Vancouver. Nothing yesterday versus New Jersey. No top power play time. Even with Forsberg and Arvidsson out, Kyle Turris can't get on that top power play. But still, his 17 points in 25 games make for a really decent 56-point pace. So yeah, I think Turris could be a decent, at least for next week, maybe you want to grab him for an early early stream because Nashville plays Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and those first three games are against Ottawa, Chicago, and Philly. So I think you're going to want to stack up on some Nashville guys for those three games in four days against Ottawa, Chicago, and Philly. Those are three teams that you expect to let in a lot of goals. Another reason also, by the way, to hold Ryan Ellis, if you've held him this long, at least get these three games out of him. I think that Nashville's going to score some goals even with their injuries. So yeah. Take a look, see who's available from there. If you could get Kyle Turris in there, I think he would be pretty good. You know who's been super quiet lately? 
uh, Evander Kane. And he's a guy who we were high on, or at least I was kind of high on in the summer after he got to San Jose last year and he was doing well. And then at the start of this year, he was also doing well. But at this point, he just has two goals and one assist in his last 12 games. That's before today. The Sharks beat Chicago 7-3. to That's a really good slump-busting team, by the way. If you're playing against Chicago, that's a really good opportunity for you to break out of a slump. And I'm seeing Evander Kane, one goal and one assist. So maybe this whole segment is a little less relevant, though I would like to see what Evander Kane could do against tougher competition. He still takes shots, so that's good. But I'm curious, like, what you think about Evander Kane right now, especially in terms of, like, a points-only league. At this point, he's only on a 45-point pace on the season, or at least before going into today's game. Maybe it's closer to 50-point pace now. We had a question from Per Tornqvist on Twitter asking what to do with him. And yeah, he's not on the top power play, right? So it just doesn't seem like Evander Kane really is going to have a huge opportunity to give you a lot more than, say, a 50-point pace. I am concerned about how quiet Evander Kane has been. Uh, His shooting percentage has regressed back to where it was in his later Winnipeg days when he was a reliable shot taker, but not a reliable scorer. really just take it like high volume shots, but clearly not of quality enough to get uh, enough goals to really make a dent in anybody's fantasy goals categories. Uh, The thing about Evander Kane also is that his even strength line mates have been inconsistent. He's usually had Eunice Donskoy with him, but the other one is rotating between Joe Pavelski or Antti Suomila. So, I mean, obviously there's a big difference between who you'd rather him play with between those two guys. His power play deployment is also not so great. So I am certainly cool to him at the moment. It's great he had a good game today. I'm pretty sure... I don't know when his goals came and not that it matters, but it was against Chicago and Cam Ward did play half the game. And by the way, uh, breaking news that Corey Crawford is confirmed to have a concussion, which is just like disastrous and awful and sad uh, and all the best to him in his recovery. Uh, But going back to Vander Kane, uh, concerning, like, I I don't know what the actionable item is here, right? Like if you own him, you probably keep him, but you might need to try and compensate if you're if you're expecting him to be like a 60-point guy. It's looking like it's going to be a, a tough hill to climb for him to get there. Yeah, I agree. Maybe the actual item, first of all, is if you don't have Evander Kane, don't go by low because we're not expecting him to bounce back in any huge way. Though, I mean, there was, I've always kind of considered Evander Kane and Jeff Skinner as similar as two guys who shot a lot, but maybe weren't getting the best deployment. Though at this point, Jeff Skinner is looking crazy. So who knows? Like maybe at, at one point this season, Jeff Skinner was getting dropped in a bunch of leagues because he wasn't on a good line and look what happened. So maybe that kind of thing could happen with Evander Kane, but it seems less likely. Like there's a lot more good players on San Jose that Evander Kane has to compete with. One of them is Timo Meyer, who didn't get any points today somehow, even though San Jose scored seven goals, but he did take seven shots. So you would have expected in most of these types of games, he would get a point or two. But yeah, he's up to now 32 points in 31 games with 10 points in his last seven games. Timo Meyer is on fire over a point per game on the season. Seems to me like an obvious better own than Evander Kane. And, you know, going into the year, you could have gotten Timo Meyer very late in your draft as opposed to Evander Kane. So congratulations if you got Meyer or if you picked him up early in free agency. Are we looking at like a seven 70, 75 point guy like is Timo Meyer an all-star I, I we've already talked about him a lot so I just wanted to check in and be like are we I know before we also said it was for real but like how for real is this guy like th- these this point base is insane it is insane uh, and Meyer has more than three shots per game uh, which is fantastic just shy of Evander Kane's shot pace but Meyer's converting much more often than Evander Kane he has 18 goals on 99 shots you could do the math there Elon he is benefiting from an 18 percent shooting percentage and that's like more than twice 
as much as Evander Kane's shooting percentage. And like the question here is, can Timo Meyer sustain such a high shooting percentage? We don't have enough of a sample from him to know yet. Uh, but even if it doesn't quite sustain, Meyer's deployment at even strength is better than Evander Kane's. His scoring is better than Kane. So yeah, I, like I don't think you were asking me between Meyer and Kane, but I would prefer. Meyer for sure. His variance markers are also better. He's got a healthier on ice shooting percentage and IPP, like sort of on the unsustainable end, but not about to come crashing down. 75 points though feels like a stretch if Meyer isn't actually near 20% converter on the shots he takes, especially since he has like no role on the top power play. I am more comfortable having Meyer at a 65 point pace the rest of the season. And I might actually lean below that rather than above. Ah, so you heard it here first. Brian is saying sell high on Timo Meyer. So if you do so, and then it doesn't work out for you, you could send your hate mail to at Brian. Co- what is well, your Twitter again? It's at- always <laughs> at keeping at Dubro. <laughs> uh, it's like, how high can you sell? Like, I don't think you're going to get better value than Timo Meyer back for Timo Meyer in a trade. Right. I see. I see like, what you're saying. I, like, I, I don't think sell high is the advice here. I think it's just like enjoy. Um, <laughs> but like you won't be able to enjoy quite as much as you've been enjoying. Elon, I thought that was a, a really great opportunity, actually, for you to, to take me on an over under bet. If I was saying 65 points is where I'm comfortable at and you're saying 75 points. OK, do over under 70. Let's do 65. Uh, I'll take over not. 65. Uh, well, I want to I would take. Well, I was saying already that I would take the under but I feel like 70 would be the nice. Wow. So I really feel me. like you give this advice to people and then you don't eat your own dog food. You just, if I quote you, I believe you just oh, said, no, I, I just think wanna... he's around a 65 point guy. <laughs> and if anything, I would lean closer to 60. It I is. Think that's what I'm you trying, said. I'm trying to game this bet to give why me a can't better you just chance make of a, winning. Why can't you just make an honest <laughs> bet and make this an entertaining show? We're not like playing a, these bets aren't for anything, Brian. But, if I, but I'm just, if you're all the way up at 75 points and I'm like, oh, 60, 65, then I feel there's room for me to like gain a little bit more leverage than I feel like I need just some just some room just to get comfortable here I mean I asked a question you gave an opinion <laughs> like I didn't say that I think he's a 75 point guy I don't know where this comes from whatever Dave, Dave you don't believe what you said so basically it, Brian is saying that even though he told you the listener that he thinks that he's closer to a 60 no, point guy he no. won't take a bet of over under 65 <laughs> you know that's not what I'm saying also, okay so Dave, take the bet I'm taking it. Let's okay. take it. 60. But how are we going to track it? Like point pace the rest of the season from December no. 17th forward. No, that's what you said. Just 65 points total. No, I no. <laughs> check the tape. All right. We'll are talk you, about it after are you the not show. you trying to push me the other way. Dave, Dave Benton stream scheme. Dave Benton's in the chat. Uh, he said, quote, you don't eat your own dog food. What? Wait, what's that? Did I say that? <laughs> you said that to me. That's a saying. But you're you not supposed to eat your own dog food. I think that's a saying. Hmm. It's like about you have to go with what you say. All right. We got a lot to get to here. Okay. Uh, This is getting really embarrassing, by the way, for not only you, but also for Corey Schneider on this season. (laughs) Three goals against on seven shots before getting pulled versus Vegas on Friday. Only one game with a save percentage over 900 all season in nine appearances. I think like it's beyond just saying that Corey Schneider is a huge snoozer. Like FYI, if you still have Corey Schneider on your team you're blowing it like you don't you don't need him even if you're like oh start like you know like i really need starts like he sucks like, every game he plays i want to call my bookie and be like give me 
the other team, and I'm willing to bet any amount because I think that Corey Schneider is terrible. Okay, he's making Keith Kincaid's 9068 percentage look like Keith Kincaid is a total superstar. So, Brian, here's my question to you. Do you think it's possible that we see Corey Schneider waived and sent to the minors at some point in the near future? I could see him getting darlinged. I really see this happening. So I actually would need to check this out. I know that Corey Schneider has a no trade clause. I don't know if he has a no move clause. He actually has like a ridiculous contract. He signed for three more years after this one at $6 million a season. So if the Devils could bury that in the minors, you'd expect them to want to do that. Um, I feel like it is just a no trade clause. So maybe they could go ahead and do that. It is really strange uh, why they keep trotting him out. I guess they want to see if they can get anything out of the three and a half more years that they're paying Corey Schneider $6 million for. They want to try and make it work. Uh, I really don't know that it will. And Elon Keith Kincaid at 906 uh, for a save percentage, it sounds bad, but it's actually still better than a league average goalie would have performed given the quality and quantity of the shots that he's faced. So good job, Keith Kincaid, for weathering weathering a storm. Yeah, Keith Kincaid, for sure. Like, if you have him in your league, you have the starting goalie on the New Jersey Devils. End of story, in my opinion. Okay, next, let's go to some final injuries and outjuries here as we close out the show. Mike Green is going to be out three to five weeks with a lower body injury on the Red Wings. Green's been fantastic this year. 16 points in 23 games, but you knew what you were getting into if you added or were relying on Mike Green. This guy hasn't played a full season in over 11 years, so it was just a matter of time before he was going to get hurt. Three to five weeks, it's not three to five months, right? So maybe he'll come back and help you again at some point. In the meantime, time to jump on Dennis Chalowski with Green out, I assume, right? He's uh, the guy taking the job on the top power play with Larkin and Nyquist and Vanek and Nielsen. And remember, Mantha's out, so that's why he's not there. Uh, Chalowski hasn't been doing anything lately. He only has one goal, no assists in his last 10 games. But like I said, he's cubing the top power play. And I feel like there's going to be some points coming. So I think you should be the first one to go grab Chalowski before someone else does. You should. Cholewski had two goals and four assists for six points and 19 shots in the eight games to start the year before Mike Green made his season debut. Since that moment, Cholewski has played 24 games, so four times as many games, but has just one more point than he had in that first eight games and only nine more shots in 24 games than he did in his first eight. So like, there's a clear cause and effect here right? Or at least it looks like there is. When Green's out of the lineup, Cholesky does well. When Green's in the lineup, uh, Cholesky uh, struggles to be relevant. So I am into Cholo right now. It's not an awful top power play unit in Detroit. And if you need a power play quarterback, uh, Cholesky now becomes one of the few options available for you that's likely to actually be out there. Yeah, and Brian, actually, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in our plan here because you were talking about Cholowski as someone when Green's there. He doesn't play well when Green's not there. He does play well uh that reminds me a lot of what we were saying about jeff petrie last year on the habs it was like when weber's there petrie's not worth owning when weber's not there petrie's a superstar and i'm really sorry to everyone who dropped jeff petrie because cam and i said a couple episodes ago when shea weber came back i said okay time to i guess let go of jeff petrie because it's going to get back to what it was before but no jeff petrie's on fire on the habs even with shea weber back in the fold petrie has seven points in his last five games he's as hot as ever is he now like the new ryan ellis who doesn't need top power play time to succeed though actually i think i did see that at some point they were going with two defensemen on the top power play but generally it's been only weber like i feel like maybe new ellis like ryan ellis might be the new jeff petrie bear with me here because he's now not doing anything maybe did petrie and ellis do like a freaky friday what's going on here with jeff petrie 
Um, well, he does have some favorable variance markers. He has a high on ice shooting percentage, so two or three percent above uh, higher than it should be. His personal shooting percentage is twice what it generally has been over the course of his career. So he's definitely benefiting from some variance, but you still have to give him credit for continuing to keep pulling off production, even with Shea Weber in the lineup. So hopefully nobody was too overzealous in dropping Jeff Petrie when Weber came back, that they held on. It's like, okay, as long as he keeps producing, he can stay on my lineup. If you decided to take that tack, well, he's probably still in your lineup. Good job. Yeah, and you are enjoying it. And Brian, are you like sell high on Jeff Petrie? Or do you think that he's just going to be like a really valuable defenseman to own? Like if you had the option to trade Ryan Ellis for Jeff Petrie right now, are you making that swap? No question. I don't. Nah, I don't think so. Like, it's close, but I, I don't think I would do that. You'd rather Ellis. Yeah. Oh, wow. But, like, you know me. I'm a bit of a chump. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> well, like, you know, I will stick with the wrong guy for too long and, and miss out on the right guy. Like, that happens to me. That's that's my fantasy Achilles heel. Um, but I feel like 25 games from now, I, I would much rather Ryan Ellis. Interesting. And you know what, Brian, don't call it your fantasy Achilles heel. It's like, that's your strategy and it works for you because sometimes you're right. And the player does end up being good. Like you held on to Mike Smith when everyone was dropping in the, in the cupful. And then he went on this amazing run recently and you looked like a genius. Now he's injured hopefully. And like Riddick is doing well. So now you're probably regretting it again, or who knows? Well, you have him in your IR, so it's not that big a deal, but yeah, like, uh, you know, don't sell yourself short. It's a strategy that's worked for you. You're in tier one. Sure. You're the ultimate. You won tier one of the couple last year. So <laughs> yeah, it's just like when I am wrong, though, this is usually why. Yeah, but hey, yeah. it's hard. You have to kind of pick a strategy. Are you going to be the type of person that makes moves very reaction? I know you probably think I'm like the opposite, right? Because I didn't accept JVR for Chiasan. No, I, yeah. I get it in the context. Like it, it was, I could not even wrap my head around it when you first mentioned it. But then with the context, I get it. Yeah, even without though, I think I might actually suggest preferring Chiasan to JVR like without that context like just because of the upside but that's the big difference between us you want to go for the guy who's has the proven track record and maybe I'm a little bit more likely to roll the dice on someone who could have huge upside and sometimes I get burned sometimes you get burned but in the end we both usually win our leagues because we're brilliant geniuses and that's why we're hosting this podcast and that's why you're listening to it hopefully and by the way you should have listened to me and Pete Jensen last week because we talked about Andrew Shaw being on this amazing hot streak and he's just completely kept it up so if you didn't grab him and someone else did, then you're kind of like the person who didn't grab uh, Kevin Hayes. So there you go. Andrew Shaw, fantastic. He's killing it on line one with Druin and Domi. Seven points in his last seven games. It's a seven-game point streak. He's got a point in each of the last seven games. 57-point pace on the season now for Andrew Shaw. Do you think he could keep this up? 57-point pace isn't too crazy, right? And if he's on the top line with Jonathan Druin, who's really proving himself to be the star player that the Habs were hoping they got when they traded Sergachev for him. And Max Domi, we've talked about already a lot about how he's having this very impressive season. I'm really liking Andrew Shaw right now. Me too, uh, which is a hard thing to say because he's done well. Like I've never really liked him much as a player, but uh, he is benefiting from some friendly variants. Uh, even so, he still looks poised to beat his career-high 39 points, playing on the top line with two guys, Jiren and Domi, who are rolling themselves. Uh, Shaw has not come even really close to his career-high 39 points that he set as a 22-year-old back when he was with Chicago in 2013-14. So five years later, it looks like he is finally on track to top that mark. Way to go, Andrew Shaw. 
Yeah, and like these lines have stuck. Montreal's been one of the rare teams that's just really stuck with their lines all season long. So there's not really a reason to expect anything to change anytime soon. Like they're doing just fine with what they're doing. Uh, by the way, there's a bunch of other injuries and outjuries, which uh, I'll just rhyme through. I'm not even going to ask you about them, just so people know and are up to date. Matt Dumba's apparently injured. Uh, Taylor Hall, Furland, they're all hurt, but we don't know like how long they're going to be out. Could all be back soon. Could be gone for a while. I don't know. Jaden Schwartz, by the way, back for the Blues. The Blues are terrible. They got destroyed by Calgary today. Uh, but let's go to some more hot streaks here because that's what we all like to end the show and be happy. And I'd love to ask you, Brian, which forward would you rather have on the Ducks right now aside from Getzlaff and Raquel, who's injured? Because there's a lot of guys doing stuff that are looking very interesting. So we've got Andre Kasha now up to 14 points in 16 games. He's been playing on the top line with Getzlaff and Auberg recently. And actually, like, this is a dumb game because I think Andre Kasha is the clear winner. Like, I think, like, he's so good. Now he's on the top line. He's getting all these points. And we totally called this in the Almanac. So I'm really happy that we said that he'd be good and he's making us look good. Pontus Auberg, by the way, nine points in nine games since he's been on that top line. Or I don't know, maybe before. But in his last nine games, he has nine points in nine games. And he's been playing with Ryan Getzlaff during that span. You've got Daniel Sprung, who's not on the top line. He's been playing with Richie and Henrique, but he's on the top power play. And he scored two goals versus Columbus yesterday. You've got Jacob Silverberg, who was slow for a really long stretch. But he's on the top power play. And he had a four-game goal streak that was finally broken yesterday. So of these four guys, I'm not going to ask for a ranking. I already deployed my ranking on the Rangers, but is there anyone here that especially interests you? And is there anyone here who you think there's no way he keeps up any relevance? Kasha interests me. I have more faith in his raw skills than any of these other guys. Um, between Kasha and Auberg, like both have high shooting percentages, but Auberg's is higher, so it has more to fall. Or at least that's generally how things work. Both have, like, no one here really stands out for power play deployment. I mean, you mentioned Silverberg and Sprong are there, but at five on five, uh, they're not really playing with great players. So it almost, it's kind of a wash. Um, yeah. And Silverberg's recent run, four goals on 11 shots. So, like, that's not sustainable. I don't know. None of these guys, other than Kasha, really strike me as somebody I want to have on my roster and stick with them through a couple scoreless games. Right. So you're saying Kasha, Add if you can, because he might be the type of guy you hold all season. Then Auberg, Sprung, Silverberg, all potentially really good streams for you. Don't forget, Anaheim's one of these teams that plays on a lot of off days. So you're going to maybe get a lot of value out of these Anaheim guys. So check your free agency, see if you can get one of them. They're all in good spots right now. Miro Heiskanen, Brian, really starting to emerge as a star. He's got seven points in his last eight games for the Dallas Stars. That was a pun that I guess everyone makes. So it's not even, I'm not even going to say pun not intended, because that's, I already put too much credence into this whole thing I just said. But Miro Heiskanen, so, so good. No points yesterday, but six shots on goal. Brian, I could have had him in the couple. He was dropped, and I let someone outbid me. I feel like he was dropped, and then added, then dropped again. And then I just sort of like, yeah, I guess he's like not on the top power play, so I don't need him. But like, this guy seems like a real stud. He's only getting better. Like, at least I'm not the guy who dropped him, but I still feel kind of bad that I didn't add him. Uh, I don't know. You could tell me that I'm wrong about Heiskin. I know Klingberg's coming back soon, but at the same time, like, Heiskin hasn't been getting top power play time. He's just really great at even strength. He's getting big minutes, he's taking advantage. Yeah, he is. The The thing is that Klingberg could be back before Christmas. That's the latest word on him. So keep that in mind if you're making a play for Haskinen, but enjoy him for the next couple of weeks because he has really rounded into form. We were concerned. Remember when he first took over the top power play job? And then I think he was bounced from it. Like this is post Klingberg injury. It, like it was a bit of a roller coaster ride at the start, but he seems to have settled in nicely now, showing why he is the heir apparent to a top power play job whenever Klingberg moves on or fades away or whatever. Uh, Haskinen uh, looking legit. And thank goodness, because we were really excited about him. And it's really nice to see uh, these guys actually show that they can reach their potential. 
Yeah, sorry, I said Heiskanen, but it's Heiskanen, that's correct. Uh, also, Rasmus Dahlin on Buffalo is doing really well now. So these rookie defensemen, it's, it, you know, it's rare. You, you, like, it, it used to be the thing that like a rookie defenseman takes a long time to come into form and be able to have an impact in the NHL. But Dahlin and Heiskanen both stepping right in, doing great. Uh, here's a guy that might be available in your leagues that you might want to jump on, Nino Niederreiter. He's on a nice run, five points in his last four games, playing on a line with Parisi and Coyle. That might change. Uh, Nico Koivu's been injured, and he might be back next week, so the lines might get shifted around. But if Nino Nito Rider sticks in the top six. I think now may be the time to finally pounce on him because he's on a run and I know he's been slow forever and he gets hot and cold, but I like this hot streak and I'm curious to know if you think he could keep it up to some extent. So Nita Rider does have four goals on his last 10 shots, but that's just like my job, right? To say something to balance out. Like you say, this guy's really hot. And then I say, well, this is why it's kind of not going to last. Um, I think it's a good look. Like you're mentioning that maybe he's in a good spot. Maybe he can stick in the top six. So yeah, maybe it is time to pounce on Nino Niederreiter. Add him to your roster and see if he can stick there even once Koivu comes back. Okay, and how about we end the show still on Minnesota Huge credit needs to be given to Ryan Suter at the age of 33 is putting up his best numbers ever. He's got 26 points in 32 games. That is a 60 something, I think 62 point pace, 67 point pace. So this guy is completely on fire. Is there any chance he could keep this up or is this a clear sell high or is it just kind of like, let's stop nitpicking because like way to go. Ryan Suter totally not pulling a Jeff Carter. He's closer to an Ovechkin than a Jeff Carter at this point as a 33 year old. So I'm going to take like the sad side of that and say, yeah, I think it is time to sell high on Ryan Suter. If I was looking at his numbers blind, uh, I'd be saying uh, he should actually be having a worse year than usual rather than be on his way to a career high. But thanks to great variance in his even strength IPP and his power play IPP and having scored twice on 15 power play shots, uh, that's helped Ryan Suter get up to the 67 point pace. And uh, also the reason why he's not going to be able to hang on. So he's a great candidate to sell high for value if you're able to. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, don't get fleeced on your deal for Ryan Scooter because he's still getting big minutes, great deployment. And this Minnesota team has been scoring some goals lately, as we've talked about in previous episodes with Zach Parisi and Eric Stahl and all these 30 plus year olds doing great. And of course, Mikhail Granlund. Okay, Brian, I think that is it for this week's show. We've ran through so, so many players. This has been a lot of fun. I love having you back. And I'm excited to be back with you again for the rest of the NHL season as we'll continue to break down every single week in fantasy hockey action in the NHL. And thanks, of course, to everyone who's listening to the show. You're the reason why we do this. If you like the show, let us know. Or if you don't like the show, let us know at Keeping Carlson on Twitter. If you do like the show, not if you don't like the show, but if you do like the show, we'd love for you to tell people on iTunes about it. You could give us a five-star review there, or if there's any other reviewing mechanism on whatever service you're using to listen to this podcast, we'd love for you to spread the word. We know sometimes you don't want to tell people in your league about where you're getting your fantasy advice. The least you could do is tell strangers on the internet that you like the show, and that helps us out a lot. If you really want to help us and help yourself, we have our patron program over on patreon you can check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron for all the details but basically in a nutshell you give us five dollars a month which is basically nothing you're buying brian or i a cheap beer like you know a discount beer at a bar once a month and in exchange you're getting access to our patron only facebook group you're getting our monthly patron cast which by the way we're recording it tomorrow so brian you get a good rest because we're doing this all again tomorrow we're going to answer every single question that the patrons throw at us and if you listen to the show and you already missed the patron cast that's okay because you have access to the backlog of all of the shows uh, there's a bunch of other perks also you can check it all out keepingcarlson.com slash patron but with 
that, Brian, we are finally done. So let's cue the outro music. And for the first time in a while, I don't have to stumble through this part forgetting what I'm supposed to say, because you could just go ahead and read us the credits. This episode of the Keevan Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest ones, Fenner S, Elliot M, Brandon J, Nicholas R, Mike D, or Mickey D, and Zachary E. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Stat Trick, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoldies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo! Yahoo, Brian! This was so fun! Thanks again, and I'm looking forward to talking to you and doing this all again next week. Until then, I am too, by the way. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. Who got more points today, by the way? Carlson. Uh, I think it was Pete Jensen who said he predicts uh, point per game pace for the rest of the way. I could see it. I could see it. Maybe closer to 70 point pace, but I think he could even hit point per game. I love Eric Carlson. Okay, bye everyone. Bye.